Welcome to Morley Wounded Podcast, episode 56. My name is James. My name is Chris, and tonight we are joined by a wonderful guest. He's just come off a show with a coach, so he's, uh, what, is he contagious? Is he... He's so hot right now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We have got on, uh, that was a maggot kin joke there, but we've got on with us Tom Oliver. Welcome to the show, Tom. Ahoy, boys. How's it going? Good. Very well, uh, thanks, mate. <laughs> I am doing my traditional style of painting, which is blobbing away with no care in the world with some contrast paint onto a purple sun right now. So uh, I'm good. I'm good. Um, how are How are you? How's uh, How's life been? Um, we've obviously got you on to kind of the main thing we're going to chat to Tom about on this episode, I guess, is um, his experiences and James's at um, the recent Bathurst GT, <clears throat> and then. Uh, yeah, kind of really talk to Tom as a painter. Um, so this isn't going to cover the same stuff that obviously Coach did. Um, so two separate shows, which is great. If you want more of Tom for other content that you won't hear on this, um, you can go check that out. But um, yeah, this is going to be all about Bathurst. Um, I think we'll touch on Goldcon a little bit as well that I went to recently. Um, and then otherwise kind of second half, we'll be talking to to Tom about painting. So um, yeah, Welcome, welcome, Tom. What have you uh, been hobbying recently? Or I guess maybe did you do any hobby in the lead up to Bathurst? Uh, thanks, thanks, man. Uh, and thanks for having me on, guys. This is really exciting. Um, big fan. Um, I ooh, Leading up to Bathurst, I did almost no hobby at Bathurst. I, I'm currently plugging away at my third AOS army. So um, for those playing at home, I've been playing the game about 12 months and have already decided that I need a third faction. Uh, so I'm paying up some some lovely Seraphon um, in as vibrant a color scheme as I can find. So currently awesome. working a little unit of Raptodons with purple Raptodons and orange Skinks to try and oh. go, you know, just buck wild with colors. Um, and that's been the focus because I've had my Maggotkin stuff pretty well done for, for a good little while now. So it's been nice. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, I've, I've seen some of your... Um some of the work in progress Wednesday photos come popping up in yeah. on Facebook and yeah, they look incredible, especially those models too. Like they just lend themselves to such a, a great, uh, they've got so much details and you can just go to town with all the colors and everything. Like I think there's some of my favorite models actually looking like seeing them recently, those Seraphon um, Raptor Dons, like they kind of evoke that whole Jurassic Park Raptor kind of vibe, you know, like it's cool. Absolutely. Um, when when I first got into the faction as well, like so, full disclosure, I, like I'm not um, particularly like keen, like that, like in a rush to get them ready for the tabletop or anything like that. Like I'm not needing the newest item on the table. But um, I had a buddy who had a Seraphon army, basically built and unpainted. Um, who was like, "Hey, you want to buy this? Because I'm not going to do anything with it." And I was like, "Sweet, sure." And at the time, they'd like just announced the Agridons, and I was so hot on Agridons when they got spoiled. Um, and I was like, I'm just going to paint tons of agrions and just play heaps of agrions because that's that's where it's at. Um, yeah, I've, yeah. I've got I've got no paint on agrions yeah. yet, and have I think <laughs> I think I'm the same boat as you, where like I think the raptorons have maybe even overtaken them for like my favorite little miniatures of this range now. But yeah. the new sculpts are so cool. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, they we are. Could... They are. I've got my. I've got five from my uh, starter boxes built in front of me as well. They um, mm. they're pretty cool. But yeah, I. Uh, they're on the back burner, I think, painting wise. But... Yeah. Yeah, cool. Secret sauce for Sydney coming up. 
No, it's more the reason they're on the back burner is because I've been yeah having to paint other stuff. Um, well, I'm doing my um my slaves army really in terms of my main awesome. hobby hobby focus for um the tail. Um, if anyone's been following along with that on the website, we've put our third post up um about tale of four gamers. So, um yeah. yeah, I'm cracking along with my slaves for that. Um, and trying not to really spend much hobby time on other stuff. Um, but inevitably. With tournaments and things coming up, it has meant that some of my hobby time has been adding the odd model um, or two kind of to my deepkin because that's generally what I've been playing at the moment. Um, mm. So, yeah, when I have been hobbying, I've just been doing little bits and bobs for that if it's not been for my slaves army. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been good, though. I um, I got my I finally got my uh, deepkin incarnate, um, like a custom deepkin themed incarnate finished um which was great to get done because i'd had the base done for ages um but needed to do the actual incarnate itself and um mm, i'd done yeah. i'd done the conversion ages ago and he's just been sitting gray on my desk and i finally kind of just got my airbrush back together and smashed it out and actually had probably one the probably the best session i've ever had with my airbrush um the other the other week which was super rewarding to actually just see so much progress so quickly um, and not have dramas with the paint coming out or drying or issues with the pressure. Like every color was just perfect straight away. And it was awesome. really, really rewarding. So I had completely disassembled the airbrush before, like after I used it last and like cleaned it all and even the trigger came out. So I did have to kind of fully reassemble it. So I don't know if that made a difference, but it, um, yeah, it was it was really good. So, um, yeah, I'm keen to kind of try and get the airbrush back out a bit more after that. But Yeah, cool. Yeah, I think a good little, a good deep clean every now and then can just work wonders for sure. It's worked for, it's happened with for me too. Um, I'm in the middle of airbrush woes at the moment. I've, I, I got a brand new one like a year ago and I've had, and it's like, you know, far more expensive than I bought before and I've just had nothing but problems with it the whole way through. Mm. Oh, no. Uh, yes, biggest oh. pain um, of my life. What's happening? Like, is it what's going on? Uh, so there's a there's a valve problem in it or a seal problem with it somewhere where uh, it's okay. um, yeah. not not sealing, and so I'm getting airflow through at all times. Um, yeah, wow. Well, okay. And um, so, like when I when I pull trigger back, like the, the the cup just foam. Like it, it looks like a frothy coffee. Like it just foams up, bubbles over. Yeah, um, that's really really painful. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've never seen that happen before. <laughs> no, so it's it's a, it's a seal problem. It's, yeah. it's I've had it on one other airbrush, which was basically like everything on the that airbrush had worn out, and it was time to get a new one. Um, and mm. very sadly, the warranty on this one doesn't include seal or valve problems. So. Uh, it's almost like they knew. Yeah, they knew. <laughs> they knew. Oh man, bummer. Are you prepared to let everyone know what this one is so they don't? Uh, I, I can. I, I, I don't necessarily know if it's a great representation because it seems to be the one that, like, you know, all the all the dudes are using, which is an, um, the Harder and Steenbeck Infinity. Oh, yeah. um, uh, and, you know, it gets great wraps everywhere you go, but I've just, I've just had nothing but problems from mm. about week one of using it. Yeah, wow. So I've, I've been using a, an a Water Eclipse and... It's never, yes. it's never failed me. Yeah, it's really good. I, I had a, a, an Awada that I won at a, a War Machine tournament up in 
Queensland years and years ago. And I had that for about six years before I'd, I'd like, I'd use it so much yeah. to the point where I'd worn out the tread of on where the nozzle actually screws in. Um, <laughs> yeah. Wow. It had been oh, well. used that much. Yeah. 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 Cool. I'm, I'm now using a $30 Chinese one from, <laughs> w- from wish. And honestly, nice. it's been fine for like, yeah, what I'm, yep. yeah. from what Absolutely. I'm trying to, what I'm trying to do it, it works. It's, it's good. Like the compressor is yep. a decent, like I think the compressor is probably where you want to spend the money initially anyway. Mm-hmm. And so that you've got like that constant pressure. Um, and yeah, to be honest for, a, I don't do detailed work with it and it's, it's been fine. And I yeah. know that if I ever have issues with it, honestly, I can just throw it in the bin and use the other one. Cause I bought two at the same time. Cause it was so cheap. <laughs> so it's just, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> That's yeah. all I'm using. So, but yeah. Nice. All right. Should we, um, should we just crack straight into into Bathurst and go, mm. I guess, start with lists that you guys took and if you went with any goals in mind um, or anything and then just, yeah, tell me about Bathurst because I wasn't there, so I'm keen to, to hear all the goss. <laughs> yeah, cool. Well, um, yeah, uh, Tom, guest of the show, you, you go first. Uh, all right, so for those who don't know where Bathurst is, it's a country town in New South Wales, so about three hours far from Sydney, over the other side of the big mountain range that sort of borders our city. Um, <clears throat> uh, not cool little two-day, and I was actually wanting to go last year, but like was sort of very early on in playing um, AOS, so I was like, oh, I'll hold that for a little bit. Uh, but run by uh, the Crouch Hammer Boys and um, held at like Panthers League Club, which is like just the best part about this game is that people understand that you need alcohol supply at a at a venue because it <laughs> makes everything everything better. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a cool little two day event. Um, about fifty people playing, I think. I think so. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, and and yeah. I headed down with uh, with a buddy of mine, Nick, who I think James played against in one of the rounds. Yeah, um, and we, we stayed did. at a little Airbnb crowded with way too many dudes from our um, our Sydney group, which was really <laughs> really good time. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> yeah, cool. Like, yeah, like I took the Friday off, <clears throat> drove up from Goulburn, uh, which is a really lovely drive through the countryside because you you kind of cut through the mountains and you, there's some really beautiful scenery as you come through. You just got to watch out for kangaroos. Um, but yes, I had a nice little drive up and I stayed in Airbnb as well with um, with Dan, Ben Spinetti and Liam. So we got a place just within walking distance of the Panthers. But um, yeah, Benny and I had a, a practice game on the Friday night. Um, so I brought up a table and train and stuff and had that set up. So when, when he got there, we um, we had a game. Um, just to, just to blast some cobwebs. It'd been a few weeks since I've, I'd played. I didn't have as many practice games as I would have hoped in the lead up. Um, but yeah, so we, uh, we drew on that one, I think, but I think Benny actually got it cause he got more battle tactics in the end. So, <laughs> um, we practiced one of the, um, he got the minor, I think, but, um, we got, I can't remember which battle plan, battle plan we played, but it was good fun. And it, we finished that up just in time to go down to the, um, dinner. So the guys, Crutch Hammer guys had booked a huge table for everyone at, um, this kind of steak, sort of country steakhouse place just down the road. Um, so everyone was there, like heaps of people turned up and having beers and food. And yeah, it was a good, a good warm up, a good way to like sort of connect and reconnect with people hadn't seen for a while, which is always a good thing. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. And we kind of wrapped up there and had a, a sensible 
um, Friday night. I don't know about you, Tom. Did you guys have a sensible Friday night? <laughs> outside of a, uh, outside of a lot of crap talking, uh, absolutely. Yeah, we 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 had like a couple of beers at, at dinner, and and I yeah. I'd, um, looked up the the restaurant like ahead of time because they announced where it was going to be and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I was so hyped to get like brisket and burger for like brisket and yeah. barbecue for dinner that night. I was I was like hanging out for it for the whole week, so it was pretty cool to get down there and good old steakhouse dinner. It was good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we good. just we just awesome. sort of. Yeah, we, we just sort of talked crap for about, you know, an hour or two after we went home and then everyone was pretty sensible and went to bed. Um, <laughs> That's good because you've got to get your got to keep your energy up for the for the main event. Well, I maintain there's like a, there's a sweet spot to sort of how to handle the nights before or during an event, which is yeah. like, you know, night before two beers is the perfect sweet spot. Like you're going to feel fine the next day. You've you've had it. You've had the right amount of fun. Um, you're not playing through rounds one and th- one through three with a hangover, which you, you never ever ever want. Um, <laughs> no. and, uh, and then and then like the night, like you know, between day one and two, you're like, yeah, depending on where you're sitting, you can like make the decision from there. Um, and I think everyone handled that pretty pretty well at this event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think you're right. There wasn't anyone sort of rocking up day two, um, like falling asleep under a table. or you know, having to go on, like, you know, have a quick tactical uh, break in the middle of a game or, or yeah. anything like that. <laughs> I had the, I had the joy of it. Um, can't come with my with um with Austin uh, from the Central Coast. Oh like, yeah, yeah. I, I just I just need to go and stand in fresh air for about ten minutes of this game. I'm, I'm yeah. sorry. I was like, sure. Oh, yeah, believe me, um, Chris and I are no strangers to. Uh... <laughs> Speaking, speaking of Can- speaking of Cancun, <laughs> yes, uh, I I, re- I, rem- I remember. I won't do that again. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think I've uh, definitely learned my lesson like too many times over. But um, when you get to my age and you have enough grey hairs in your beard, it's like two beers is probably like the max for me now. <laughs> Maybe a nightcap with some whiskey. <laughs> yep, that's all I'm finding. That's my sweet spot <laughs> these days. But um, but yeah. So that so was sort they, of Friday night. Oh, yeah. I was just gonna say, did either of you like have a grudge or anything first? Because they did grudges, didn't they, at Bathurst? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the guys did like um, they put out the call in the lead up for like to. So the thing that makes Bathurst GT unique is they do. They've started off a um, city versus country shield. So it's got all the plaques on there, and um, they've got this really cool shield made up. Um, and yeah, the idea is, uh, round one grudges between city and country and obviously whoever wins that, um, when takes the, takes the shield and bragging rights for the next 12 months. Um, so they get it engraved, um, for city or country. So this is the inaugural city versus country grudge matches. So I think that's about three, four, I think it's about 12 dudes. Yeah. Like right. six, I think yeah. Six, six on each, um, team pretty much round one grudges. So. Um, yeah, that was really cool. I actually got um, paired up with um, Nick Stanley, who you'd come up with. So he had his leg- he's, he had his legion of nightless. But before I go any further, I'll just um, I'll tell you all what I brought in my list. I'll just yep. quickly bring it up just for your, your context. So I had legion of blood, and my grand strat was the dance macabre, which is like have more summonable units in enemy territory than enemy units at the end of the battle. So it's all about just pushing up and pushing up, pushing up, getting into their territory or mm. game um, and spawning out the back if I can. Um, but my list was uh, Neferata and 
I had a vampire lord as my general, so he was the shaman of the chilled land, so I knew all the all the um andor spells. Um, gave him the spirit gale, the that lovely spell that everyone um double takes and said, "Does what now?" <laughs> um, then the necromancer with the amulet of screams. So that's not a fact that if you're within eighteen of the necro and you you cast a successfully cast a spell, uh, I think it's on a three up. It takes the, the wizard takes. D3 mortal wounds kind of thing. So um, didn't really use it, get much use out of it over the tournament, to be honest, probably because I forgot, probably because I forgot, <laughs> forgot I like to measure it or just slip my mind. Like this is, this is why I get the, my stir, like solid results that I get at my tournaments um, and took a white King on steed. Um, so I had 10 black knights, 20 skellies, then three lots of 20 zombies. So 60, in total, but yeah, three hits of 20, 20 grave guard. And I had a corpse cart to go with those zombies. So um, that was my list. My idea behind it was just to flood the board with bodies, push forward, get on objectives and win. Um, unfortunately that uh, strategy didn't, <laughs> that didn't work. <laughs> um, Cause I think there was about six or seven soul blight lists. So there was like the inevitable mirror matches were, were coming downstream and sure enough, round one um, drew up against um, Nick Stanley. So we were the we were the round one grudge, and I think we played out till we played an awesome game. Nick, if you're listening, loved loved playing a, a game with you. It's great to meet you finally, properly, and because um, I know you've come to slaughter in the past and everything. So um, it's great just to hang out and um, and roll some dice and get to know you. Um, but yeah, so he had his Legion of Night list. I think he had Manfred and. Um, Vampolid Zombie Dragon, Graveguard. Um, oh, he had a whole bunch of other stuff. I should get his uh, list up. Direwolves. Yeah. Direwolves. Yeah. No, Similar, same but different. But he took Legion yeah. of Night. Um, but interestingly, he didn't take the um, he didn't take the Blizzard Wizard, like teleporting Blizz, Blizzard mm-hmm. Wizard. Um, so he, he opted for a different build um, for his um, for his Wiz. But um, we fought Tooth and Nail down to. Um, we got to the bottom of fourth and um, rounded out the last, but um, we were like the f- deciding game for the, the city country because it had been three one, three wins, three losses each, and we were the final game coming down and we had a perfect draw um, <laughs> in every aspect. <laughs> so <laughs> we all got our, we both got our battle all our battle tactics. We both scored up um, equal points. Both got our grand strats. Um, yeah, it was just sorry, sorry everyone. <laughs> we tried, <laughs> we, but um. So yeah, the actual result for the city country this year was a draw. So everyone wins. Friendship was the winner. <laughs> yeah, that was um. That was so funny to watch Jared sort of sitting there at, at, like as you guys were trying to figure it out, to being like, "No, there's no way you can actually get a draw in this. There's like, there's no way." And then. We went to yeah. lunch or whatever it was. Yeah. Like, oh, no, it's, it's it's absolutely actually a draw. It's a dead draw, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. it was good. It was good fun. So that was my round one um, covered off there. So um, should throw it to you if you're a round one, Tom. Yeah, man. Um, so I uh, so the list I brought to Bathurst was a Drowned list for Noble. So if you don't know what Drowned is, it's the, the pre-game move um, sub-faction for... Uh, we call them plus plus white lords. So this had uh, like a lot of afflictions. Who's the best hero in the faction? Because um, he's just really tanky and versatile with a 
artifact that shuts off command abilities and a um, or command check that shuts off abilities and artifact that gives him a four plus ward. I took Bellacore and I took a Gutrot Spear. Um, Gutrot Spear was there because I also took twenty prop my crate and their job was to just pop onto back edges and side objectives and get points or shoot off like little support heroes or thin, thin stuff out. Uh, then there were four units of Pascal Blight Lords um, doing doing all the Pascal Blight Lord things. Yep. And the, the sub-faction, the, so the grand strategy for that was Blessed Desecration. So I I get it by um, A, starting the game with a general who's mortal, and then I successfully finish it by finishing the game, controlling a piece of terrain um, in my opponent's territory. Um, and if it, but, yeah, which is it's a cool one. Sometimes it's just like an auto get because if there's no terrain in their holy in their territory, you just get to pick any terrain feature on the battlefield, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So I, I was um, also in the city versus country grudge match. Um, I think I just got tagged in a Facebook post at one point. I, I was sort of just yeah. keen. I came to this event purely with the expectation that I just get to play five games against five sweet people, and I was really lucky that that was the case all weekend. Um, I got paid into like the grudge that was allocated to me was against Luke, who was such a super lovely dude and uh, did a really cool thing over the weekend. And just wanted to like shout out that he like did a huge fundraising for Black Dog Institute. Um, yeah, uh, for the weekend, and he, he raised like almost a thousand dollars for that, which was 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 amazing. Um, yeah. But he was playing Slaves to Darkness. Uh, I did a little bit of homework. I think this is the first time I've ever done like a look at list before I went to an event sort of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and he had like a bit of a melee combat army. Um, there was uh, some we walked some warriors, there were some chosen, some baron guard, and a gaunt summoner on disc that had a merciless blizzard. I was like, okay, cool. So there's like two, you know, two, two pretty big threats there, and the merciless blizzard and um, the baron guard. Uh, game was game was really, really good. Um, I sort of was able to get rid of the Gaunt Summoner pretty early in the piece, which I thought was really, really important, and then just ground it out from there. So I think he, he killed a little bit over the course of the game that was just able to sort of make him run out of gas, um, which which certainly happens against the, the Pascal list. So uh, took took that game away, which um, it was a really nice game and a really nice, like, you know, great opponent to open the event against, which was, you know, more appreciated than anything else. He was a real sweetheart. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. So, all right, should we just keep rolling into round two? Keep rolling. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, so my round two, um, so I dropped with um, Thomas Brigden. Shout out to Tom with his um, Daughters of Cain. Yep, Hagnar list. Um, so I don't have his list in front of me, but um, basically we fought it out. He had a whole lot of witches. He had um, a couple of avatars. Um, he had a cauldron. Um and heroes, support heroes, and he had, he had like witch and everything like that. So he was whipping them up, and they'll get anything. They get all these buffs. Um, <laughs> they get heaps of buffs. Yeah, so many yeah. buffs. <laughs> it's like plus one attack, plus one to like run and charge. They can all run and charge. They can all do this and do that. And it's like, okay, so where do yep. the actual core rules apply in this um in this army? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, nah, but no, nah, he was uh, he was a champion, and we had a great game. Um, that was actually very close. Um, so he got me by one point because I, um, well, he got me by two points, um, because I missed my grand strat. <laughs> so if I was able to pull that one off, um, yeah, would have won by one point, but 
alas, I did not. Um, so that was my that was my round two. Um, I did learn that those avatars do pack a, a, a nice punch. Um, but um, I found that Daughters of Cain was one of those armies I used to come up against like over the years that would just terrify me. Um, I, don't, I think I've, I've only ever won a game against like Daughters of Cain like once or twice since they came out. Um, but I'm finding like they're just not they're not as scary as as they as they used to be. They're still very strong though. Um, and yeah, we had a great game. So yeah, so shout out to you, Tom. Uh, thanks for the game. And um, that was my round two. So my round two was against um, Liam, who I think you were staying with, James. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And like I played against Liam, I think once before down in Sydney, um, and we talked pretty regularly because we're part of this. Like you know, we're in a couple of chats together and all sorts of stuff. So I was, I was pretty excited to get another game in against Liam. Um, yeah. The last time we played, ironic, like funnily enough, was when he was playing his dock list, which was, um, you know, oh, yeah. I think, was a little bit similar to to what you played. Um, maybe some more snakes than um, avatars, but it was. Um, and yeah. he loves his little frost heart phoenix combo in the faction. Uh, but he was playing Slanesh, and he had this sort of combined arms army, which had Glutos and forty four Bliss Barbs. Um, so I, I, you know. Running theme over day one is that I um, really like playing against uh, Bliss Barb Archers. Um, I had to play against 122 <laughs> of them uh, over the course of day one. And you're still um, here. <laughs> and I'm still here. Um, uh, and then he had some like of the cavalry units and uh, um, the epitome with uh, Blizzard and all that sort of stuff uh, in yeah. the Pretenders sub faction, yeah. which I was really like, uh, you know, sort of. Again, first time I've ever done homework for an event. Um, and I was like, all right, cool. Well, um, my I've only played against the new Slanish book a couple of times and with, with when I was using my Slaves to Darkness and that was um, that was a pretty brutal experience because one thing that you don't necessarily want to do is have high-value units going in to try and kill Slanish in melee. Um, and I was a, a little bit worried about that, but we had a really, really interesting game where, um, and, I'm, and, I, and I'm, I'm here to sort of, spread the good word of Papa Nurgle and, and Passport Flight Lord lists, um, <laughs> which is that it is not a, it is not exclusively a pin and win list. Um, I uh, took it in a battle reg that it was all a one drop, which meant that I think I had priority of who gets first and second most games. I think Terence in round three was the only person who gave me, who like got to decide instead. Uh, but I used, the, in that game, I um, you know, didn't want to really, like I, I, I deployed quite aggressively so that like, Liam was forced to reactively deploy and he chose to deploy right against the backboard of his ta um, table edge, which I was fine with. You know, he, he, he's got the 30 inch threat range. I, I can try and get into that or I could just back off out of that 30 inches and play on, and play on scenario. We're playing that scenario where um, if you hold an objective for two turns, it turns off for, oh, like yeah. for you. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. Resources, I think. Yeah. And, um, and so I, I sort of just like, Pull back, like I actually used my, my pregame move to, to walk backwards so that Liam would have to come into me and um, gave him first turn. He sort of shuffles his stuff up um, and then, and, but isn't really able to do anything. Like he's not able to connect any shooting or anything like that right out of the gate. So uh, I used my turn to, but he's, he's brought a little bit of his castle up and sort of divided out his castle. So I, I then moved my stuff back 
forward, um, I pop out the, the Rotmeyer Creed and they do a decent amount of work into his unit of 10 um, Slip Blade Sleep Seekers, the, the Stabby Boys. And like, I think I killed like like four of them right like right out of the gate, which the Rotmeyer Creed are super capable of doing with like 40 shots out of the unit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he comes back in for the clapback and um, I, I it, it was interesting because like, you know, 20 Rotmeyer Creed is... Not a unit that you necessarily want to charge, but he, he charged them anyway, and they like unleashed held um, pretty pretty damn well into those seekers. So um, was able to sort of control one side of the table edge. So that was, if you think like spatially, that was sort of the right like my right side of the table. And then he had his death bunker with glue toss and some archers and stuff, which I was able to charge into um, with the Lord of Afflictions and one other unit of Blight Lords, and was able to clear out the Bliss Barb Seekers, the guys with the um, Rend Bows, yeah. uh, and a unit of uh, t- 10 <clears throat> of ten Archers. So he, he sort of like when it, uh, we, we um, shuffle priority and, and I think he, he got the turn back. So that was fine. Like, you know, um, um, the, I wasn't like hinging on a double or anything like that. But um, pretty pretty pivotal was to be able to bliss to um, Bellacore, the the big unit of Bliss Barb Archers. So he's sort of forced to he was forced to come into me with um, with Blutos. Um and the Lord of Afflictions is like you know with best day ever and um, what you call it, Mystic Shield is really hard to drop. He's like a two plus armor save against most rend target most <coughs> rend attacks with a four up ward save. Yeah. So he was able to sort of tank through Glutos' attacks. <laughs> and um, and the Bliss Barbs hadn't done much, and I thinned quite a lot of the rest of the army out. And the next turn, I sort of I, I then get my turn back, and I had to go into into him. And um, it took like th- four units of flies. The Lord of the, I had to retreat a, lord, a unit of flies out who had been in combat with Glutos, but uh, three units of flies. The Lord of Afflictions who had stayed in combat and Bellacore went to, went into Glutos and still left him on one wound at the end of that. And that's like. We're talking like seventy melee attacks plus impact attacks plus disease points, and he'd left been left on one wound. Yeah, oh, it was, it was savage. Um, and I'm just sitting there and be like, it doesn't matter if I get the prior or not now, um, because I'm gonna just be um, stuck here. Like I'm gonna be stuck here trying to do one wound to this to this dude for for forever because he's got a decent ward. So even like an arcane bolt, you know, I, I, like it's, it's a single roll and he's just gonna unbind it. I was like, okay, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a little a spot of bother here because blue dots. You know, one thing that he likes to do is heal. Uh, so mm-hmm. I get priority, and this is where like remembering your rules kind of becomes important, um, which is that a lot of afflictions has this like little optional thing you can take on them, which I always do and, and often forget um, uh, to, to to use. But he's got a thing called like an incubatch, which at the start of my hero phase, I just roll a dice, and onto two plus, you just take a mortal wound if you're within an inch of him. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like super, super fortuitous that Gludos only had one wound left. So I was like, here you go. Um, got him off the table and then was able to just um, to clear out the rest of the bliss parts and stuff like that. Um, and I think I think I, I uh, took that one out on a like, score pretty pretty well in the end. But um, Liam, Liam played it really well, um, you know, layering his army. Like I wasn't able to, to, to blitz it out and had things gone a little bit differently for him with Glutos, um, I think it would have been a, like a really, really different game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I certainly uh, know the pain of trying to kill Glutos at the moment. I've been uh, getting a lot of practice games in on TTS at the moment and um, yeah. against Liam, and it's just been that army over and over. And yeah, Glutos is one tough cookie to crack. Like, it takes <laughs> a lot to get rid of him. 
like so, a lot, right? Like he's at my, like, and he wasn't even at minus two to hit, which he can do pretty easily um, from what I'm seeing. Yeah. Um, like it just gets so much saving and so many wounds and he's a vampire for all intents and purposes. So he just gets six wounds back every turn. He's, he's, yeah. he's a monster. Yeah. I've yeah. been like, I've, I've been stuck in combat with him with like an incarnate and an idol on for like three rounds of combat for basically no wounds done because i'd like oh, he was on he was on seven and then i'd maybe get him down to like i did like 13 and then he hits me and heals six and just just <laughs> yeah. he'd, be, he'd be killing me he was like de-leveling the cron spine and i didn't kill him and i was just like oh <laughs> yeah. yeah he's he's really tough so yeah, good, good work getting through him oh thanks yeah um it's cool like and i like those centerpiece models like I started playing Noble with the Glockian, so sort of similar sort of piece. So I'm I'm so keen to see those sorts of models making an impact on the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a really good game. Awesome. Good, good to see he put um, Liam and his Slanesh in his in his place as well. <laughs> he, he, he he was he was he was pretty he was pretty uh, pretty proud of that army going into into Bathurst, and I was like, all right, like, and he's playing a lot. Um, like I was. I was yeah, he's, he's getting a lot of games out with our, our, our um, group, um, Marrickville. And I was sort of looking at him like, oh, he's so he's so ready to just pull me apart. And I'm like, I'm going down here. But um, I was very lucky. I got it um, in the end. It was just, um, yeah. Cool. Well, <clears throat> rolling into round three. Um, so I've got myself organized now. So think of the internet. You can actually bring up lists from previous events. Um, if you go to their event pages, <laughs> um, and been using this app as well. I'm sure people listening are already well aware of this this app, but um, it's the Tabletop Battles app where you can set up and track your games and, and everything. It's fantastic. If you haven't got it, um, get on and um, search on your on your um, your application app, <laughs> depending which um, kind of phone you've got, and yeah, do a search for. Um, tabletop battles and yeah you can go on there set up your games with aos and everything and it's just a great way to keep track of all what's going on so makes um going back and talking about games a lot easier um but yeah so like round three was um spring the trap and i came up against um cory rosser so he's a, a an orange local um shout out to cory um he's got a he had gloom spike gits with the um jaws of mork um sub faction um so he had a loom boss on Mangler Squigs, uh, Fungoid Cave Shaman, Fungoid Cave Shaman, and then three into ten Boingrot Bounders, and he had ten Squig Hoppers, and he had six Rock Gut Trogoths as well. So, yeah, it was a pretty pretty strong list. Um, he didn't go down the full Squig um, route. He's but he, he definitely had those Bounders, which um, served him well. So, um, the final score for that game was um, 18 to 12. Um, it went to Corey. Um, I was he got priority every turn. Um, he was able to control more on each turn. I still managed to get all my um, uh, battle tactics in the game, um, but just couldn't get that score more. <laughs> um, just couldn't quite crack that crack that nut. But um, yeah, maybe if I'd got a, a priority or some of that, I might have been able to swing it back. But um, yeah, it's it is what it is. It was it was good fun, and um, it's a beautiful, beautifully painted army as well. Um, and Corey's an absolute champion. Like I played him at uh, at um, War Under the Mountain as well, so we managed to um, 
pair off on that on that side uh, on that event as well. And yeah, it was good to play again, Corey. Um, probably the biggest memory from that game is um, Neferata and um, and and some friends going in and trying to take out all those um, trogoths and like just sitting in the center of the board. And um, yeah, within like a turn. She was completely surrounded by Boingrot bounders on every side and the Trogoths and just was promptly just like turned into a fine paste. Um <laughs> it, I believe it's called a dark mist. A dark mist. Hey. <laughs> um but yeah, that was fun. It was just like I, I had full confidence in her ability to defend herself and she did hold out um okay, uh, but she just got overwhelmed. <laughs> But um, my sort of like my general kind of tactic that I was employing with this army was um, I'd put all the zombies out on, I'd put all the zombies in in, in deployment and then I'd put all the death rattle in the grave sites um, and it was a four drop. So I was getting like priority round one um, in most of my games. Um, I think maybe one or two I didn't, but um, I have this thing like I'm so used to going first Um from high drop, being a high drop army that even when I do have the initiative, I still choose round one because I want to bring up my 10 units of grave guard. I'm sorry, my unit 20 grave guard and my, um, you know, my shock troops. I want to bring them up and like, you know, with the black knights, bring them up and just go for the, the alpha. Um, but um, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have um, adopted that. Maybe I should have given first turn more often and um, maybe put up, maybe put the zombies in the, in the grave sites instead and put them up as a wall in front or something like that. Um, and then be ready for a counter punch with, uh, with my shock troops. But yeah, maybe that's probably a better strategy. Chris, you're nodding. Yeah, I think so. Um, like, yeah, I've had some, <laughs> had some experience into it being played where, yeah, the harder stuff is actually on the table and just walks up the table behind the, yeah. uh, fairly resilient screens and yeah, definitely works more consistently anyway um yeah yeah so so i think i need to need to change up my um my tactics a bit i think but i i kind of just fell to that um that kind of mindset throughout the tournament um kept on trying the same thing expecting it to work differently um <laughs> in each battle so so you went insane is what you're telling us <sighs> i think so <laughs> um it felt yeah, like so... that was the um the lot of a soul fight player at that time though was to go insane because you guys just all had long games. The yeah, whole yeah. We we I played till time on all of my games except for one. Um, yep. Yep. That's soul and, blight there. Yeah, that's it. That's just soul blight, and I've been playing them for years, and I love them. Um, but yeah, I think I'm I'm gonna see if I can get um my lumineth finished or up to. Enough Lumineth done in time for Blood Rite mm. in um, November. So I've got a couple of months, but I'm not going to – yeah, I'll, if I can, I will. If not, I've got a an idea for a Legion of Night quick quick play tournament list. <laughs> so yeah, chat, cool. about chat about that later if you like. But um, So that was um, – yeah, and that was my round three. Over to you, um, Tom, for your round three. Yeah, just just quickly, was Corey's army the um, one with the orange squigs in it? Um, I believe so. Hang on, I'll just have there were so many cool squig armies at that event. Like I was actually I, between them and there were a few others, yours included, dude. Like it was actually a really hard event to pick coolest army for, which is so cool to to see. As oh a, yeah, 
coming from a, a gaming background where it was pretty normal to see three armies painted at an event. Uh, yeah, it, it's really, really cool to see how much the, the this community gets into painting and hobby. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, but my round three was uh, against. Uh, so I, I got rewarded for playing and winning against forty-four plus five archers by <laughs> playing into eighty-eight plus five archers uh, with our man Terry, who took out Sydney Slaughter back in back in June. Yeah. Um, I. I this was a. <laughs> This was a, a shellacking I was I was mentally prepared for. Um, when um, when we played it, sort of, there were a couple of things that I reflected on from the event. I actually I didn't actually play Terry at uh, at Slaughter, but um, it was his list was certainly a, a a level point, like a gear check of like you know you must be this tall to ride if you want to yeah if if you want to be able to sort of not not even compete but just have a list that's that that is. Um, optimized for, for that event, mm. so uh, that that factored actually really heavily into my list design. I'm a, I'm a little bit of a paranoid yeah. um, gamer, so I, I, and I really enjoy the challenge of of having like a, a thing to, to to think about. So uh, by no means did I think I was I was anywhere close to a slam dunk, and, and the game absolutely wasn't a slam dunk. Um, but that list that he's got, so for reference for people playing out there, so it's 160 shots every turn at rend two most of the time at like twos and threes or twos and twos yeah it's um oh no so twos and twos and threes i think is the best it can do but um yeah so it's, it's really 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 strong and really really fast so i had like like i was comfortable playing flies i, I actually took it to cancon a, a, a similar sort of list to what i played at bathurst but and i hadn't i actually hadn't played it for it's like since CanCon, like I hadn't touched my, like the list that I played at Bathurst or anything like it really for about six months. But seeing Terry just absolutely rolling around um, in um, in Bliss Barbs, I was like, "What? What actually beats Bliss Barbs out of the, the mm. moment I've got? I have slaves that I can play, and I've got Noble that I can play, and I was like, "What? What can I take that that has a chip in a chair? What What are the criteria you need to play against something like that?" Um, yeah. The big one is is that you uh, a lack of targets is is the biggest thing, or, or an oversaturation of targets. So yeah. I can imagine things like Soul Blight are pretty pretty groovy there because you can just null deploy stuff in the grave, like your juicy stuff in the grave, and and uh, particularly need Legion of Night to deploy outside of thirty, and then just teleport to where you want to be. Yeah, Nurgle doesn't have a lot of teleporting. They, they don't have, a, they, and um, but they do have a decent amount of null deploy. So the Lord of Afflictions, which I take in every list, because it even in outside of Drown Men, because it unlocks the Blight Lords as battle line, and they're uh, and Nurgle just has a problem with battle line units. Like the Blight Kings and the Plague Bearers are they're slow. Their output isn't amazing. They're not that survivable. Mm-hmm. So I tend to reach them in most lists anyway, um, and. Um, and, and it has this cool side effect, which is that he, the Lord of Legion, also lets you deep strike a couple of units. So going into this game, I was like, cool. Well, the, the thing that I do is just don't give Terry any targets. Um, and it, and uh, that, I was pretty comfortable with that between that and the ambushing units with Gut Rod Spume. But then we rolled Spring the Trap, which lets you... So I can I can null deploy everything down to Bellacore and a single unit of flies in the army normally. And I was like, sweet. Well, I, he's not going to get to shoot much. I'll, if, if I have stuff on the board, that'll just be outside of 30, so he doesn't get that turn one alpha um, to shoot me. But um, as it happened, we're playing a, a scenario that lets you pull additional units off the table. And I was yep. like, you beaut. 
let's see what we roll here. And Terry rolled a two to uh, like he rolled a, like a, a three for the D three units to take off the table. I was like, sweet, whole army's coming off the board. So Terry's got to deploy his army, and I left mine on my move on my carry tray. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and he gave me first, which I was not surprised about. Um, and this game, like for me, is very much like I, I can just I, I can win it. I can like you know I, I can get into the game, or I can just straight lose it based on what happens out of the gate. So I deep struck the the Lord of Afflictions and his friends. I popped on um, another unit of flies with got Spearm and the twenty rot my creed, and uh, was able to shoot off Elicor on like basically shoot off Elicor on turn one, uh, land a charge with a unit of light lords under him, and he was sort of screening at the back edge of as a side screen for his army on that side um killed him and then i landed one more charge which just so happened to be the lord of afflictions and i caught his lord of pain which means that he didn't get to do the triple unleash hell in fact he got to do no unleash hells nice. um and he doesn't get the three all attacks or anything like that from there so that was pretty fortuitous in terms of like things that need to go right for me to have a chance in that game that was pretty damn good um and then so what did you just out of interest sorry yeah. like what given your entire armies off the board what did you pick yeah. as your like turn one battle tactic intimidate the invaders because you don't need to select anything you just need to have stuff finish outside yeah fair territory um yeah. so normally normally i'd go like ma um magical dominance so that uh i just sit bellacore and he casts like arcane bolt or mystic shield on nothing but just to get a, ta a tactic there um yeah. But yeah, so I, I did intimidate and got that and then popped um, best day over on the Lord of Afflictions with all that defense. And he it took Terence a pretty much a full double turn of shooting to kill the Lord of Afflictions. So I think we counted it out. It, was, it took about 240, 250 Lisbar archer shots to kill him because he did, wasn't able wow. to win me with any of the Seekers. Oh, so wow. he was only at Ren 1, so I'm saying at 2 plus 4 plus. It was, it was pretty wild. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> yeah, and and at that point, that one model has tied up four or five units, like the seat. It's like tied up seekers and two or three units of lift barbs. So he he's just locked there, not able to get onto objectives. I get up on primary pretty quickly, um, and then because of the scenario, you also can't bring those units that you take off through scenario, and you can't bring them back on until the, the, your second movement. So Bellacore is sitting pretty on the side of the table. And then he pops on and there's like, like I've, I've whittled down th three of the four units at least a little bit. Um, mm. And then Bellacore pops on. He's like, and Darkmaster, the one remaining full health unit. So um, he got pretty locked out of the game at that point. And I was able to sort of just sort of sail sail from there. Like, you know, he, I think he killed two two flies and half the unit of Rottmeyer. And at that point, I, like it was sort of, there, there was too much left on the board for him to, to come back with that, especially with that, um, the Dark Master uh, potentially going over a double turn with um, with a lot of afflictions. So with um, with Dark Master onto the Blissbar Archers. Yeah. Oh, wow. So it was it was a pretty 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 exciting game. Um, and and Terence is is an absolute gem to play. Like it, it, it's one of those like really challenging plays, really really challenging games. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It sounds like you approached it the right way. Like was yeah. um. Did that Lord of Afflictions get in, like, to all the Bliss Barbs? So did he just choose to shoot the Lord of Afflictions to try and get rid of it? Or, or like, could he? would he have needed to retreat and lose a whole turn of shooting anyway to try and shoot something else? 
No, so he has to kill a lot of afflictions before anything else happens. Uh, reason being, so the Lord of Pain was able to get out of the seven um, eventually, like uh, with the next movement phase, uh, start getting out the plus one to hit and all that jazz. But because a lot of afflictions is tying up the bliss bars, they didn't have retreat and shoot. They like so he has to sacrifice all that output, which he needs in that matchup. The clapback is also really bad for him. So if 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 he gets uh, even with winning priority, if he retreats and then I get to clap back, Bliss Barbs eat. Um, sorry, uh, Pasquale Blight Lords <clears throat> Bliss Barbs for breakfast. Like they do two, <laughs> oh, roughly yeah. two yeah. D three mortal wounds going in. They have a million attacks. They then do additional like mortal wounds at the, end, at the start of the battle shock, and then do disease. It's it's no bueno. And I landed the cycle of corruption. I think the cycle of corruption landed really well for me on that as well. Where the turn that I went in. He had no inspiring presence, no rally, and then he had the no pylons straight away afterwards. So it was just like it was a perfect storm of like things that had uh, to go right went right. Um, yeah, yeah. But it it, it it was like I was like I, I was quietly hoping that I get to play Terry, uh, and hope that yeah. I was hoping like that would be like the final game of this one. I was like that's that's sort of like a really cool game to sort of finish on. Uh, the fact that I got to play him on the the, the end of the Saturday was. Um, was a real was a real treat, and but it also felt like all right, I came, I did everything I came to do. I can lose the next two games. I don't really care. Like it was, it was a really, really fun, really challenging, really, really sort of um, cognitive strenuous, co- cognitively strenuous game. So yeah, that was that was cool. It was a really good game, and I, I think I took that out like eighteen. I was I got eighteen to fourteen on that scenario. So it was still close on the score. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, yeah. Still hard fought. Yeah, yeah. That's epic, though. Like just how you're able to sort of pick pick it apart like that and come out on top on such a like an such an infamous list. You know, like it's yeah, yeah it's awesome. That's a thing, though. Hey, like people bring a list like that, like it's slaughter. I don't think anyone had um, developed enough to enough of a counter in enough time for the event. But um, now that's out there, it's kind of given people like yourself a chance to properly think about okay, how do we actually pick apart this list? And sure enough, that's how the the big, um, you know, the big monsters get taken down. For sure. It's and it's it's also where thinking, like, you know, that you don't need to totally change your list all the time. Like, you don't need to go and buy a new faction or anything like that. There's, it's it's thinking about your tools mm-hmm. that you have to, to deal with anything and where deployment's really, really important. So... Yeah, some, some matchups require you to have a really aggressive deployment. Some matchups you want to castle up and, and be defensive, or 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 if you have the ability to to then null deploy. But you know, I'm I try not to play with the idea of like this is my turn one play. This is my like it's got to be matchup dependent how you deal with that, um, yeah. which is really really cool part of the game. So um, I've heard um the phrase null deploy a few times. Um, hmm. uh, can you can you explain to me what that is? Because I've I've heard it, but I'm. I don't understand what it means. <laughs> um, there might be people listening as well as who might not understand as well. <laughs> sure, sure. So it relates to uh, any form of abilities that let you take units uh, off the table or let you start units off the table. So you don't actually put oh, right. them on the ground okay. when you deploy them. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then you can like you could deep strike them in. So you bring them in outside yeah. of nine anywhere on the table or like gut spume where you can bring them in from a table edge, which I I, I use a term from cool. a game I used to play called ambushing as opposed to deep striking. 
Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So it's like, okay, cool. Yep. Totally with you now. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So like the armies you can get that can full null deploy are like armies that obviously you actually don't like beta chaos now yep. have the ability every single game if they want to full null deploy. So they just put nothing on the table to start with. Meaning like, oh, yeah. especially yeah. if you, if you could do that in a, low drop army as well you can pretty much just give away turn one with impunity every time because you you can't lose anything um you've obviously got to be careful if there's armies that can also do that like if you're playing against beast of chaos and they just come on and surround every board edge and then you can't deploy your army and you lose the game but um yeah yeah yeah, i guess it's a thing like (laughs) deep in with the soul scryers and stuff if you've got the ability to at least have a few drops or like daughters with the harpies right you've got a few Mm. When you're doing that one, 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 one at the start of the game and you want to know where your opponent's key pieces are without giving up too much of your own information, if you've got the first two or three drops, you're able to just be like off the board, off the board, off the board. You're giving yeah. them no information and then their army's down by the time you actually want to put stuff on the board. So it's yeah. um, it's good. But yeah, full null, full null deploy is pretty rare, but it's it's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, well, I've been doing null deploying yeah, gonna you say you play, you play soul plate. Yeah, you all the time, you know. Like, yeah, don't you mean? Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. Well, that was the end of day day one for us. Um, one thing I will say, like, um, the guys were really well organized with um, how they did the lunches. Um, as we all know, like, like getting lunch on time at a tournament can either can either make or break the tournament uh, in a lot of ways. Like. And, um, yeah, Jared and, and Blake nailed it. So Blake was going around taking orders from everyone at their tables during the match and during the, like, round one. Um, and all you had to do was, when you finish your game, go up to the bar, pay for your meal, then go downstairs and collect it. So everything was ready to go at lunch. So everyone got their lunch on time and were fed and back playing on time. So, yeah, it sounds, it sounds really simple, but it's... Um, it was very effective and I was very impressed. <laughs> so shout out makes, kudos to you guys. <laughs> it makes being at the event really easy, which, which is just a huge bonus. And that we had the same thing at slaughter, which was, was great. I've never seen that before. It was, it's, it's a really good policy to have. Yeah. yeah absolutely. But um, yeah, Saturday night, um, not too much shenanigans Saturday night. I think um, when I came down after game three, um, everyone was gathered around the Matildas. And the place was going up like roaring, like at every goal. I think I came down when, like, they were doing that the goal shootout um, yeah. at the end there. So like the whole club was just shaking, like yeah. with cheers. And I think most of the guys from the tournament had congregated down there um, after they finished their round threes. And yeah, I think there's a couple of drinks there. Um, I think people went off and did their own things. I think like we we um, sort of speared off um, with group of guys and went to like got some um, pasta or something like that in one of the local places in Bathurst and um, so a bit of a stroll around Bathurst um, at night and yeah had some food and then um, on the way back just sort of Jesse Liam and I just sort of um, had a, a nightcap back at the club um, before mm. we before heading back um, but yeah not too late um, we got back and we ended up watching um, the Meg at the oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah like because I think the, the Meg 2 is out 
Um, yep. So Liam was like, Liam put the Meg on when we got back. It was like on Netflix or whatever at the yeah. Airbnb. Um, so we were watching that, like, and I was just climbing the walls with every like shark jump scare imaginable. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, it was good fun though. Yeah. Just don't play Deepkin the day after. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just having nightmares about sharks. <laughs> but um, no, it's good. Yeah, it was good uh, for what it was. Um, yeah, looking forward to Meg 2, I guess. <laughs> no, that was our I'm, night. Sense, I'm sensing some <laughs> trepidation in your voice there, James, that I don't appreciate. The Meg 2 is going to be the greatest movie of release this year. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that was that yeah. was our that was our um Saturday. Did what did you guys get up to? So I am full-blown football mad. So I had I actually had my phone with the Matilda's game going at the table while I was playing Terry. So <laughs> I had one eye on the one eye on the game, one eye on the game. Uh, <laughs> I, I I actually made it out to all the Matilda's games that played in Sydney during the World Cup. So like we we were deep in it. So yeah, it was cool. um I, f- I finished up my game with Terry and I was like Terry, I don't mean to be rude, but I'm gonna go downstairs and watch the game right now because it's really exciting. Um, and, and I was, and so Liam and I had headed down there, and I didn't have a voice for day two because we were screaming so much at the telly, yeah. uh, <laughs> along with everybody else in that club, which was great. It was, it was the energy was awesome. So we yeah. did that, and then, um, then we went to dinner. Uh, we went back to the same place we went on night one, and some of the guys I was staying with were, were there, so like you know, um, uh, the Strawns coach, the Bugs, they were all they were all hanging there. So we just sat, sat there and chilled. Then we went back to the the airbnb and um we uh, sort of uh, there were like lots of it was just non-sequitur conversation all night um and including and i i called when uh the boys decided to have a very very enthusiastic and heated discussion about what is the most aesthetic army in aos um which was <laughs> which which, which it, it was like the unanswerable question but they were trying to answer it and they were doing a good job of um, of everybody answering the question. Um, so what, was the, so what was the consensus? I think I think Idenet actually wound up on top, mate. Um, oh yes, yeah, yeah. because it's so unique, um, and that the the range was is is all new. I think that that sort of clinched it um, on all fronts, which was controversial to say the least. <laughs> uh, and then yeah, we got we got a night's sleep and. Um, uh, we had a, a mild booking error with our Airbnb. So um, Nick and I, there were, we were one less bed slash couch than we anticipated. So um, oh. Nick and I were, were were strategically placed in the same room and we had a, like a, you know, the, the, the typical boy thing, like we don't actually care, but like there had to be like a row of pillows down between us and the bed. And, you know, it was, <laughs> and, you know, slept very lightly to make sure we weren't bothering each other. Um, overly polite, despite the fact that we've been mates since we were nine years old. Um, <laughs> you know, you know it, was, it was very fun. But like we got up in the morning and nobody had a good night's sleep. So apparently like I'd had a nightmare and like yelled out in my sleep in the middle of the night. Um, <laughs> one, one, of the, one of the bugs had like cut down a... You know, the, like the, you know, the little noise cancelling earbuds, they'd actually cut one down and it had gotten jammed in their, their ear. And so there was like a midnight panic of trying to dig this thing out of their, out of the, out of an ear. And, oh, my God. And I was just, so everybody woke, woke up in the morning and they just, we all just like looked rough. And like, I, I just hate life right now so badly. <laughs> um, but we, we, we got up, we went down and there was, there's some really like, cool little cafes in um, 
in Bathurst, we went to breakfast mm, and yeah. chilled out. And, and um, that was a really nice way to sort of start the day. It was just like, you know, walking through town and it was nice and cold and foggy and, um, and a bit of time. Like, you know, the, the, the start times was that were actually pretty nice for this event. Like, even though we, it was like three and a two rounder, like we, at, the fact that we're staying so close and we could get up and still mosey around for a little bit without rushing to get to game one. Yeah, yeah. It's good. Yeah, it's so easy. Like the Panthers is right in the middle of, it's, yeah, you could, there's Airbnbs and motels all within like five to 10 minute walk max. Yeah. And like all the, yep. yeah, all the cafes, restaurants, really close, easy to get to. Um, <clears throat> so the, the um, draw went up for round four on the Saturday as well. Um, so I drew against um, Chris Yates. So Chris Yates, another orange local, um, he brought, bring up his list, he brought Saves to Darkness, Knights of the Empty Throne. Um, so he had Archaeon, um, Chaos Lord on Karkadrak, um, Chaos Sorcerer Lord, um, three, oh, sorry, two into three Varangard and ten Chaos Warriors and eightfold Doom Sigil. So Archaeon and Friends and... This is like the quickest and probably one of the most the funnest games um, I'd had on the weekend. So the battle plan was no reward without risk. So this is the one where when a wizard dies on a four up, they explode D3 mortal wounds to everything like in range of their, um, I think their wounds characteristic is the range. So you can guess what happened in this game. <laughs> so he, uh, Chris, Chris pushes up to the middle, uh, Kaon sort of sort of central to the board. Um, he kind of, because this is one we can set up in, if you want, you can set up in combat as well. There's no like nine inches back um, in the deployment rules. Um, so I still deployed back anyway. I didn't want to be setting up in combat with um, with um, Archaeon or, you know, his Chaos Warriors. Um, but he basically, he just sent his Varangard down the flanks, um, you know, munched through some zombies, but they were kind of dispatched within a, like a, a turn or two. Um, you know, it was... You know, Varangard, scary, but not heaps scary. Um, and then just basically I just pushed up the center. Um, I spawned, <clears throat> I did, like, my Black Knights and Graveguard came from, like, the corner. So I kind of just surrounded his whole army um, and came in from every corner. And um, I think my Graveguard took out about 90% of his army in one round of combat. Um, oh, wow. Like, like, it was pretty... It was pretty good, um, but then I sent I sent Neferat around. Maybe maybe it's an exaggeration. They took out a lot of stuff in round. Like they picked every or whatever was left was picked off pretty much. And um, and then yeah, so I basically surround Arcaon. Uh, Neferata went in. She got the she got the dagger of jet wound on him. So um, she got him down a fair way. Uh, and then everything else that came into him, like Black Knights got into him, did a stack of mortal wounds. Um, and obviously Neferata, I gave her the heroic action, which is um, uh, premeditated bloodshed, which is the one way um, the attacks, uh, yeah, basically shuts down wards. No wards, so, yeah. Yeah, so um, Archaon's wards were useless against um, Neferata, which was cool. Um, but it came down to it, uh, ne- Archaon had one wound left and Neferata was like just sitting there waiting in the wings ready to roll the five up to take him off um and it came around to the white king on steed um who got him down to one wound and then the final wound was taken out with the white king's steed attack 
<laughs> so the so the the steed just did the final death blow to Archaon, <laughs> and um, sure enough, he rolled the four up, and then Archaon just imploded like Sauron in Lord of the Rings, where he just explodes, and the whole battlefield just like falls back. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was nice. awesome. Um, yeah, twenty five inches was the range, so it was like every every single unit on the board took D three mortal wounds. Um, which was awesome, and my vampire lord had one wound left, so it popped him as well, sort of a chain reaction. Rolled the, four <laughs> up, rolled the four up for the vampire lord. The vampire lord exploded, and then like it got close. It brought almost like killed the necromancer as well. So we almost had like this cool <laughs> like wizard popping um, extravaganza, yep. which was like you know oh, I can't remember the name of the movie. But there's a movie with all these heads just explode. Um, uh, Kingsman. Kingsman, that's it. Yeah, yeah. it, yep. it kind of just it just reminded me of that a little bit. Um, but yeah, like Sauron and Kingsman, like Lord of the Rings and yep. Kingsman rolled into one in one battle. So that was heaps of fun. Um, that was just win big because his his list is like win big or or lose big. Um, and it was just fun being able to. And I think that particular um, uh, scenario just worked in my favor. He, he didn't have that many bodies on the board. I was able to set up my grave sites and just surround him, come in and crunch and munch on um, Safe Darkness for breakfast mm. that morning. So um, that was my big fun win for the tournament. So um, thanks, Chris. Shout out to you, mate. Um, that was me for round four. Nice. I, um, I, I was ready for a lot of KO day two. Um, and I've got one KO day two, which wasn't this round. Um because there were, what well, I think, at that point, like where I was, like you know, I was sort of had a look, quick look at the the slider, and I was, sort of, I think I was in like third or fourth or what it was, and then everything above below me was KO, and I was like, all right, this is this is how we go right now. Um, but I got Jesse uh, Perkins, I think. Oh yeah. Yep. yeah. Um, with, with his with his gits, um, who was. Uh, absolute character, love playing against him. Super, super sweet dude. Yeah, Jesse's um, great. Yeah, I, 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 I'm still meeting a lot of the community as I go to events, so it's it's sort of nice to just keep running into really, really fun opponents. Nice guys. I don't know. I think Jesse is alright. He's alright. He's, yeah. he's okay. It's been annoying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, we um we we had a, a, a this scenario was super fun playing into a Gits army that had Gobba Palooza. Because they're all wizards, um, with yeah. low wound counts. So um, yes, <laughs> yeah. See where this so is this, going. This, yeah. So this was one of the few one of the few games where I actually um, took first and did the whole move forward and then charge because you're allowed to deploy on the center point, which is I'm sure not by design, but maybe by design. Who knows? But we're going to live in that world while it's the, while it's here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I got into his army pretty hard turn one, and, and but he screened well, right? Like so, um, he put his a unit of forty stabbers right out in front of his whole army, which that, it, that actually does take like three units of flies to to drop. Uh, but I was able to also shoot off um, his bounders turn one, which was pretty pretty big because like after that he's only got his squeak herd and his mangle squeak as far as damage dealers, and he had a little web spinner blizzard wizard. Which accidentally got um, engaged by a blight lord and also killed. So I killed 40, 40 stabbers, um, unit of ten bounders, and a blizzard wizard turn one. And I was feeling pretty good about uh, at the mm. um, Nice. <laughs> yeah. So so we got into his, his turn two and and I dark mastered the the unit of squeak herd, 
so he's only got his um, like as far as damage potential, he's really only got the the mango squig, the the general of the mango squig, who came in and he he, he was able to wipe out. Like he, he I didn't realize it, like they hit, but pretty pretty well. Uh, so he he takes out my Lord of Afflictions, um, which is, is all you know is, is what it is. Um, but then the exploding happened the following turn, which is where um, the one of the fungoid cave shamans exploded, which led into the next cave shaman exploding, which led into a gobble loser exploding, which led into a gobble loser exploding, which led into a gobble loser exploding. <laughs> yeah. Like it was, it was just, it was, it was, it was chain reaction head explosion. So good, yeah. Uh, which was, which was hectic, and, and at that point, like you know, as, as just as far as the game went, like it, clearly, um, go- goblins' heads were exploding. So uh, we 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 went up. I went up getting up pretty pretty well in that um, that game uh, off the back of heads exploding, um, which was which was pretty fun. Um, but yeah, just was just was a great great opponent. Um, and um, you know, gets I, I gets one of those books. I, I don't know. Sometimes you you have like you come out and people just sort of decry that it's the end of the universe and and this is the worst thing ever and like I hate playing is it. <laughs> It's one of those armies I have loved playing against them since day dot. Like, I find them such a funny, fun game to play against. Yeah, um, and typically, gets players are good value too. So, um, yeah. So, <laughs> so definitely, Jesse Jesse held course on that one. Um, yeah. So that that was it. And so I headed into round five undefeated. But there were so many um, compared to slaughter, where I played a list that took forever to play. Uh, it was really nice to go and walk around and watch games being played in between rounds and, and the games that were happening like going into like in, during round four were super super exciting like watching christian and then play out the, the ko off mm, yeah during that that like you know it was just it was watching like people just play it there like you know peak performance like super cooperative but but really firing on all cylinders and that was that was really really cool to see yeah yeah absolutely yeah 100 yeah. Um, yeah, so last last game for me for the tournament, um, I drew up my last game was uh, Liam Rob- Robinson, so another orange guy. So I managed to play everyone in orange, um, so that's good. <laughs> it's good for coming up. Like you go to a go to a regional event and you play the locals. It's good. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Liam brought his good spike gets. Let's get his list. Um, actually, um, now that you mentioned this is the. Well, earlier you mentioned the green, the orange squig list. This is the yep. orange squig list. This is the orange squig. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, Liam painted um, uh, Corey's army as well, and that was like all the blue oh, right. and, and the green and the yeah. So yeah, he's commissioned those yep. commissions and stuff. And, and I have to say, like the guys up in orange are amazing painters. Yeah. Like I don't know if you, I don't know if you um, noticed the um soul, soul blood army. Um, oh god, name is the all the vampire, all the blood knight one. Yeah, 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 yeah. And with like, um. The zombie dragon using which uses an archangel from warmer hordes um is such a cool conversion yeah yeah but um yeah so liam i think quick math is the the name of the club um yep. so yeah quick math so uh liam had his gits king's gits uh scrag grot the loon king loon boss and mangler squigs fungoid cave shaman then he had um three into 12 squig herds three into 10 boy grot bounders so um, the final game was Power Flux. Um, this one came pretty close as well. Um, again, it was another situation where um, if I'd got, I think if I'd got my um, Grand Strat, 
uh, would have come out with a one-point lead. <laughs> um, I felt I had this game for most of the game <laughs> until it started getting closer to time and we um, mm. had to kind of speed up and try and, you know, get uh, come to turns. And, um, yeah, I just didn't get my um... – oh, wait, no, I did get it. I just didn't um, score more. Oh, wait, no, this one is where you control activated and then you get an extra point for killing wizards, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you control activated and you control, yeah, because it moves across, right? Uh, power yeah. flux, you pick either mm. the two center ones or the two opposite middle. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kept on, yeah, I think where I fell down there was I kept on giving him the opportunity to choose the power flux um, mm. objectives, which didn't work in my favor. I wanted to keep pressing the advantage because I'm um, just looking at my score sheet here. I got priority every turn. Um, probably should have more used a bit more um, of my brain and um, <laughs> given like, like give myself the opportunity to choose the power flux. But anyway, yeah. so hindsight's a bitch. Um, went to that again. Um, but fun moment in that game was um, Neferata hunting down um, Scragrot. And um, mm. he did like this sneaky little, um, you know, redeploy when Neferata was closing in. Um, which kind of, it saved him for an extra turn. <laughs> she got into him eventually and took him off. Um, but, yeah, that was one where, yeah, he kept on controlling those important objectives. And, um, yeah, I kept on trying to press an advantage to try and take them anyway. But, yeah, didn't quite get there. Um, but, yeah, still a very close game, good fun. Um, Liam's a great guy, beautiful painter. Uh, we'll play again. So, yeah, that was kind of rounded out my tournament. Um, so final result was draw, loss, loss, win, loss. So, you know, um, but could have been, you know, some, some, some two very close games there could have easily just been like a, you know, a, a three, yep. three win, draw, loss, but, you know, it wasn't. So <laughs> I can um, ruminate all I like, but yeah, it was close. But I did enjoy and um, shout out to Jarrett and um, Blake for running an awesome event. You guys nailed it. Um, I'm coming back next year. Love coming up to Bathurst. Uh, the drive from Goulburn is really lovely. Um, so I'll be doing it again. Um, probably take the, take Sammy up for a little weekend trip up to Bathurst as well at some point. Um, it's just nice and close. It's only like a couple hours drive for me. So um, through beautiful countryside. So um, yeah. No, thank you so much guys um, for running the event and you guys did an amazing job. You deserve all the accolades and props um yeah yeah won't blame more smoke up your asses but you deserve it so <laughs> keep but going smoke up asses is nice yeah um, and, and very well deserved right like it's a take yeah. a lot to pull off a big event like that yeah exactly yeah yeah. Um, yeah yeah so my final game was against uh christian bug who is an absolute legend and if you ever get a chance to play against christian he is such a good and level-headed player. Um, we we play. We've only played once before, despite going to events in our local area for together for like a year now. Um, and Christian was running a, a really cool melee-driven KO army, and and we we played for the first time only a few weeks before at a local event, um, and it was the exact same matchup. We, and there were a few key learning takeaways in that process that 
um, were quite important when it came to this game. Um, but basically, like, this event, I played the list, like, four different ways as far as deployment, like, first turn, unpacking the army is concerned. This was... Um, this was a, a pretty different way to how I'd run like tempo-wise the rest of the, the event, where I actually didn't um, ambush or you know take the rot my creed off the board um, at the start of the game. I, I left them on as a as a big screen and didn't pre-game move at all. I actually deployed just really far away um, and gave gave Christian first turn where he came up and he he um, I had some fly like a, a unit of flies on either side just sort of threatening objectives in case um, they got turned on. And he came up and he wanted to do a tactic which requires him to take a unit off the table in turn one, or like um, shoot a unit off the table in turn one. And he and mm. he unluckily failed that off the get-go with a frigate loaded up with his melee unit, the Sky, the Sky Wardens, the guys with the balloons and spears. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so he had both his and, and a gun hauler, which had a, this, another unit of those, plus a hero, plus some other little balloon boys that fix the boats. So there's a really, um, and, and I, I Bellacore, and one thing that I, I know, I, like I knew heading to that is that I had to Bellacore Darkmaster, one of the frigates, turn one, so that he couldn't just come in and just alpha my whole line at the table. Uh, one of the big learning experiences from our first game is the interaction between um, my impact attacks and boats. So possible mm. White Lords have a, uh, an impact attack, and unlike yeah, other impact right. attacks, it's against everything within one inch. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which is bad news for boats and things in boats. So <laughs> I only landed the charge with two units of flies this turn uh, and Bellacore, but... It, it, it it's so devastating like that you go in and like i've killed a hero and half a unit uh, and half of every unit in the boats and mostly killed the boats before i even start making attacks in melee um which is exactly what happened here uh bellacore then like bellacore like swung first and, and took out the frigate and exploded and some dudes exploded in the process and then we sort of you know we're able to pick, pick things apart from there and kill the gun hauler at the same time so you had like a couple of balloon boys from each unit and the admiral like his general's still alive there. But I then was able, I think I got the double straight straight away and that meant that I could sort of clear them out pretty well um, mm. and left him with just a frigate, which had like a unit of, uh, I'm terrible with names of the units, um, but the engine riggers, the guys that fix the boats yeah. and like a couple of little heroes. Mm. So uh, one of the things that is real, like, you know, it sounds really bad. Like, essentially, like I dropped a, a, a unit of an army that had three boats down to one boat in by the end of the first turn. But Christian's a really exceptional player and is uh, keeping level headed throughout the game and then really looking for ways to continue to play the game. And so we actually, we actually played the game out to turn five. And despite he, he couldn't really get the, the primaries in, he couldn't sit on objectives um, that well anymore. But you don't score that many points in that scenario from objectives anyway. Um, mm. uh, like, you know, it's, it's not the, the be-all and end-all. Um, but because there was no wizard, so there's no additional scoring, it kind of almost came down to just battle tactics and, and him failing that first one. Like, he got he got all four others and just played for tactics for the rest of the game. Like, there was no fighting to be done thereafter. Mm. Um, yeah. But he, he, he just... It, 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 it's, it was a masterclass in just, like, Keeps tr keep trying to squeeze some juice out of it, uh, out of the game, even though it looks bad. Um, and 
we had a really good game. Like, you know, we were, we were staying together at the, at the Airbnb. So we'd sort of been hyping each other up all morning, just being like, you know, it could be, could be us playing you know, next round or round five. And, and um, we were both sort of sitting with the perspective that it didn't matter who won that game. Like, I, I, I went to Bathurst purely with the expectation of, like, getting played five games, and I, and I got to do that. The, and, and wound up going 5-0 and, and all that sort of jazz, which was, which was awesome. Yeah. But um, but it was the vibe. Oh, thank you. Um, but but um, the the more important part was just like going and being able to just you know make friends and and, and have some really really fun and engaging games. And yeah, that that last game was was a great example of just being able to have that experience the whole weekend with yeah. um with that. Yeah, I can definitely um, echo those sentiments. Like every every person I played had a great game and it was good fun and mm. most really close as well so yeah there was there was only one person i saw having um not the best time in the world at this event and that was my mate nick who um, and I, and he's got to have props for probably being the mm. most resilient player at this event because he took yeah Soul Blight, <laughs> and he's been playing Soul Blight for years yeah. uh and was forced to play the mirror match three times at that event so he, yeah three out of three out of five games was Soul Blight. yeah him. that's it's rough like i was lucky just to only play one <laughs> yeah yeah and yeah one's enough <laughs> yep. yeah especially in mirror matches because it's even more grindy because you're both like oh well i've died now so i'm gonna roll my four up and see if i can come back from this grave site and now i'm gonna do it yeah but now <laughs> i'm gonna do it oh god yep. and guess what i can use your um yeah grave, can grave sites too. Grave sites. <laughs> yeah 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 you can use each other's oh, that's wild. yeah <laughs> See, so it's it's like eight, eight opportunities yep. to come back. That <laughs> sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, it literally is. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and no, I've I've uh, I'll just um, I'll run through. Um, I was gonna say, so how did the podium and everything end up? Yeah, so we've got first place went to uh, this guy named Tom Revillo. Um, wait. That's you. Oh, no. That's me. Uh, what? That's it. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations, mate. Well done. Um, nailed it. Thanks, Five and O uh, with the, the maggot kin with also not only um, getting first place, but also getting coolest, uh, sorry, best painted as well. So we've got like the triple threat guy here is handsome. He's uh, he's good looking. He's um, he paints like a fiend. He wins all these games. Like, what more can you want? You know, <laughs> he's the man. <laughs> You're too kind. He's the man of the hour. <laughs> so yeah, he's the, the classic triple threat. So congrats, congratulations, man. Uh, second, second place went to um, Terence Voller, our Bliss Bub um, champion. And uh, third place went to Bob with his um, Soul Blight. So Bob is consistent um, podiumer at events with Soul Blight. So mm. shout out to you, Bob. Um, and yeah, he, he was in the in the crew that we went out for dinner with on on Saturday night. So it was good good to hang out and um, chat, get to know get to know a bit more, mate. And um, wooden spoon went to Joshy Joshy Griffiths, the orange yeah. juicer. <laughs> and uh, so best order went to Christian Bug. Uh, best chaos went to Craig Anderson. Best death went to Carl Leafding. And best destruction Anthony Magro. Um, best sports went to Corey Rosser, uh, which I can definitely concur with. Um, yeah, play, uh, after playing him myself, um, legend guy to play a game with. And Coolest Army went to um, Stephen Oglivy. Um, 
and of course, as mentioned, Tom with um, Best Painted. So, um, yeah, fantastic weekend. What was um, Stephen's Army for Coolest? Um, Stephen's Army, let me check. Uh, Was it the Spider Army? Stephen. Yeah, yeah, he had the um, the Grim Scuttle, yeah, the Gits. So, yeah, so that was the all the spiders, Ragnarok Spider, um, Scuttle Boss on Giant Spider, a um, couple of Shamans. Then he had, yeah, the two Arachnorocks, Spider Riders, Spider Riders. Um, oh, cool. He had heaps of Arachnorocks and Spider Riders. <laughs> so, yeah, it super cool so army. Good too. Yeah, yeah. Spiders are very cool, so that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Is yeah, that so your um, is that your first five O, Tom? For Sigma? Uh no, not 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 for AOS. I took one out last year at the Combat Company in Sydney, which was pretty exciting. Oh yeah. Um, oh nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah cool. I podiumed a couple of other places, but yeah. But um, yeah. first kind just of just... big 40, 50 odd player. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Which was yeah. which was pretty pretty special. Um, yeah, and, and I just want to. No, you go. Sorry, man. I was going to say it's cool to do it when you've, like you, you said that this was the first one where you kind of did some list prep and you specifically went in designing a list to essentially beat the boogeyman, which is fair enough if you know there's a player playing a list that has literally just basically, to to be honest, wiped the floor with everything it played. You yeah. kind of know well if I want to try and do well my list has to be able to beat that essentially because you know you're going to yeah. play it. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's cool that it obviously everything that went through your brain in terms of how do you beat that list obviously panned out and, and worked. Yeah. Yeah, it was um, it was it was cool. It was. Um, um, it, again, it was it was just a really good weekend as far as like the, the vibe was was also just really light the whole way through. So yeah um yeah it's great and it was almost it was really almost cool. like it was almost like um there was a lot of people from sydney slaughter there yeah it was basically sydney slaughter crew plus orange and bathurst locals yeah which uh you know which says a lot it's awesome it's um a great bunch of people and really creates a great atmosphere um at an event so yeah Massive well, player. that's um, that's Bathurst. That's Bathurst. There, I was just going to ask: Were there any any of those scenarios you guys played? Because obviously, we're in a fairly new GHB that you hmm. didn't like, or that you really liked, or you had like comments on in terms of like the interactions, or there was people at the event commenting that they either really liked the missions or didn't like them. Because obviously, we're we're still quite early days, so I'm just trying to get an mm. idea for which, which sorts of missions uh, do we think we're seeing a select group of five or six missions that are probably going to be the five or six for this GHB, or are there more available this year, do you think? I think we saw probably what I'm going to expect to see at events. Um, I would expect that Spring the Trap mm. will get FAQ'd by mm. GDUB or TOs, the, um, the, the non-nine-inch away deployment oh no reward without risk that's the one yeah um yeah yeah yeah, that that one felt pretty Mm. unnecessary to to happen um and i and and not that i think there was the wrong call for tos to not change it as written because that's exactly how that scenario is written yeah um yeah but I, i i do think that it's awkward to play um like that those that nine inch displacement or the 18 inch displacement on deployment 
has been done for a reason. Um, so that would be the only one. I, I, I hadn't played Power Flux before, and I found that one interesting. I, um, mm. I might need yeah. to play it a few more times before I have a definite decision of whether I like it or not. Yeah. yeah. Did many people yeah. with the Reward Without Risk, do you know, were they deploying, like, right in the line? Was anyone deploying into combat, etc.? I'm not I sure. I... Combat? Mm. Sorry, James. Oh, I was just saying, I, I'm not quite sure, but I intentionally didn't in my deployment. So I don't know, yeah, if anyone else um, took that approach or just set up in combat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean I, I'm definitely a bad person who deployed right on the, the edge of my territory. Um, <laughs> which you kind of, like, if somebody says you're allowed to do, like, there's no reason not to, you know, I would argue that the rules should dictate that it doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, that, that one's that one's a funny. Like, I don't know if it's a typo or if it's GDub being experimental with scenario design or, or what have you. Well, they've done their fact and they haven't changed yeah. it. And supposedly, I mean, the world's pack has said, given the name of the scenario, they think it's intended that you can do it. So yeah, I, I guess. But yeah. We'll see. I think um, yeah. Spring the Trap, the guys um, FAQ'd that you could only put your own units in yeah, the reserve. Correct, correct. Which I think is pretty obvious that's the intent. Well, they um, have. They have. Fact they've cleared, they've cleared it up. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, there you go. So, yeah. um, actually, um, come to think of it, I don't think we even did that in our game. <laughs> we, did, we both of us opted not to, um, to do that because we're kind of, I was already like half of my army was already in. Yeah. in the graves <laughs> at that point I was just like I need something on the board <laughs> but yeah. I think that um that scenario needs one more clarification which is that you just can't um, take off an, a model that has which only applies to like three models in the game but you can't take off a model that has a base greater than six inches um, oh, yeah. which is like Alarial, Archeon and the more crushes because if you do that yeah, yeah. Based, based on the rules of the scenario you can't actually put them back on the table they, they, mm. they just die instantaneously mm. um, yeah if you can't set them up then they can't be placed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. But I think things like Geomantic Pulse will see it pretty much every event. Um, yeah. I like uh, that scenario. That's a good one. Yeah. I like limited resources, the one where you like stop scoring them after a certain event, like, you know, as if you, after you scored them so many times. I think that's a good scenario. Yeah. It sort of frees yeah, up. Yeah. I need to practice that one more. It frees your brain space up where you can just sort of like score up, score up, and then just move on and keep, yeah. keep, keep moving around the board more. Um, to like press your advantage or deny, um, yeah, 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 cool. But yeah, like but so far, like, yeah. But so also, like, they're the only ones that I've played. I think I've played one or two others in the lead up when they when the book first came out. But still, yet to play like the the other like the other ones. Um, so until I play those, I, um, I don't really know. <laughs> But those were good. Also, I, thought they were, they were, they were, I thought they were a good choice. For sure. The, the one that I that I have played that wasn't played on this weekend, which I'm glad it wasn't played, is um, the Tower in the Tundra one. That one, that scenario is really awkward for scoring um, because it's like it's only two scenario, two objectives in the middle of the table, like yeah. laterally. Okay. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so is that like a still like score one, score more? Kind of no, it's, it's got 
all these weird scoring conditions. Like you, you have a, if you can have like an arcane terrain or a, a faction terrain be a tower, and you score points based on controlling that at the end of the game, and or your opponent not controlling it at the end of the game. It's it's a really weird scenario. Okay. Um, yeah. Let's yeah. play it. I have to give it a crack. Yeah. 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 Nice. Well, that sounds fun. I'd um, yeah, I definitely, as as an observer, would like to try and get to Bathurst. I think one year if I can. Um, yeah, for sure. Obviously, a bit bit out of the way now for me coming down mm. from Brisbane, but um, mm. yeah, it it'd be nice to go for a bit of a different event once. So um, yeah, I'd like to go. So yeah, congrats to um, yeah, obviously the Crutchhammer guys and stuff are putting on their first kind of proper big event, and yeah, sounds like it obviously had a good turnout and and stuff so yeah um and then yeah i guess from my side i was at Golcon last weekend so yep. um i've also had some tournament um experience recently um i'll just whip through mine but want to just talk about it um scott and nicole have run it this is i think it was the third year now that they've run Golcon um down in um narang on the gold coast so um pretty well attended yeah like 60 odd players as well so um yeah, there was a fair bit of Slanesh, all pretenders. There was lots of Bliss Barbs as well. Um, <laughs> there was only a couple of KO lists, but they were um, circling around the top. And uh, I took my Deepkin, so I was the only I was the only Deepkin player there, which I think is saying a little bit about the game at the moment. Um, and I took a heavy kind of uh, Namati list, so I had like a block of thirty thralls, a block of thirty reavers, um, and then another ten reavers. Um, and then basically just like a load of support characters. So Tidecaster with the Shaman of the Chilled Lands because Deepkin have got a teleport spell. So if you ever did want to teleport in and try and Blizzard something, I never did, but um, it has the option. Um, and then, yeah, like a Soul Render to bring guys back and Lotan for... Essentially, the thing behind this list was I'd tried out a 20, but the 20 would just die, but it would usually die by like two or three models. And so I wanted yeah. to try the 30. And the Thralls are pretty cheap now. Um and with Lotan, you can basically get it. So, like, if you go, like, if you go first, you can put a five-up ward onto the thirty thralls. Turn one, send them off. If you lose prio, that five-up ward goes all the way through into your next hero phase. And then, with the other ritual, you get a five-up ward during high tide, which is round three. So you can pretty much have thirty thralls with a five-up ward for round one, round two, round three. Um, <laughs> with the ability to like add three plus D three back into them every battle shock phase. So um, the theory behind the list was that it would be a pretty resilient list that would bog people down and then be able to actually cut through them with pretty reliable kind of plus one to hit plus one to wound minus one to wound tech against them as well from the thrall master. But um, again, too much stuff just killed them. Um, they still mm. just suffer from having a five up save and um, people mm. would just, People would just, if armies needed to, um, like I played Geordie with his Beast of Chaos, and we we played a, quite a few practice games actually, yeah, um, in the lead up to it. And I'd managed to get the wins close, but I'd, I'd got the wins in our practice games, and then I think Geordie really learned more from the practice games than I did in terms of what to do to beat me. Um, yeah, yeah. Because I, I tried to bait him into splitting his Enlightened and his Bulgore when we played, and he didn't take the bait, and he just put both of them into the thralls and took them off the turn he needed to, mm -hmm. um, and kind of knew that the 30 Reavers couldn't deal with all of it. 
Um, but yeah, my first game was um, against Ben um, Collier, who, <laughs> fun thing about Ben, he's been playing for seven years and he's never won a game, but he oh. still just enjoys the experience. He wants the wooden spoon at every event. And um, honestly, I had probably one of the funniest games I've had in years against Ben. Um, he's uh yeah it it was great he was playing sylvaneth with lots of monsters so immediately i was like oh because my grand strat basically is there can't be any monsters alive at the end of the game for me to get my grand strat and i was like oh well i'm gonna have to kill Alarial twice an ethereal durthu and a tree lord um but did actually manage to do it through the game um thralls and stuff are actually very good into Alarial when she just comes back and charges them and then they attack her um so yeah, um, I had a, a big win against Ben, thirty-two eleven. Um, but that was that was good. That was good to kind of get a solid win straight in. Um, and then I played Geordie yeah. <laughs> straight yeah. into Geordie, straight into Geordie round two. Um, and yeah, Geordie's always a, a great opponent. But yeah, I've, I've, I've yeah had practice into his beasts. I had been playing. I think I probably had four practice games into him. To be fair, um, two of them originally I was trying to run in incarnate list um with the tech to send it wild level it up etc and it just wasn't it wasn't working um a lot of this is i was playing into slanesh and nighthaunt a lot in those practice games both mm. of which are really bad matchups for an incarnate and i do think it skewed my view on the incarnate a bit too much because i didn't play any slanesh or nighthaunt at Golcon. um <laughs> and to be honest Every game I played at Golcon, the Incarnate probably would have been better. Mm. Um, so it is a it is a lesson yeah. for me in terms of if you're trying to tailor a list, you need to be very conscious of what you're playing against, um, and you need to get variety mm. because yeah, mm. the actual tournament yeah going into um, Beast of Chaos, it was like an Incarnate is very good into Geordie's lists because he's. His two hammer units can't they just can't kill it and they don't want to come into it knowing that it will kill them um but yeah so i played geordie and um i was trying to play so hard in the first round of um just deployment trying to stop him or make his turn one battle tactic really hard basically to try and put him on the back foot and like I left space in my big unit to put all my heroes so he couldn't pull them around, which he's done in our practice games. I picked sides so I could deploy so he wouldn't be able to just drop beasts into two terrain pieces to get that battle tactic. I made sure I had a hero in range of his wizards turn one if he wanted to try and go for magical dominance. And mm. then he like looks at it and then he just goes, oh, I'm going to do this battle tactic that's something like kill a unit that's been affected by one of his heroic actions, the beast ones. And I was like, what? This is, what is this? And he's like, yeah, you just have to kill a unit that's been affected by it. So my little screening <laughs> unit of ether wings that I thought I was using to just screen off and block him from getting a, a tactic where he just deploys onto the terrain. He just goes, oh, I'm just going to do D6 mortal wins to them. And then I'm just going to shoot them with my uncle raiders from off the board and kill them and get my battle tactic. And I was like, are you serious? You have never used this battle tactic against me. <laughs> Because like we've played a lot of practice games now, and he has never done this this battle tactic, so I did not even know about it. Oh no! And, he, and he, he's just like, oh, I don't normally have to rely on this one, but yeah, <laughs> I was like, fucking oh. beasts. These tactics are so easy, but um, 
yeah so he he got all his tactics and um yeah it was i still felt like i was doing a pretty good job he had to bellicor me turn one otherwise my thralls would have got into like he's enlightened and stuff but um mm. yeah wasn't to be he got he got the drop on me and um yeah he got a 24 17 in the end i played my last turn to just deny the grand strats i think because i i wasn't going to kill bellicor at that point so i had already lost mine so all i did was just retreat my idol on to within 12 of his herdstone and we pretty much just rolled out whether he could make a nine inch charge with enlightened or not um based on a redeploy and then he didn't and we kind of went okay i'll cancel out your grand strat at least um to just try and pull it in a bit closer but um geordie's always a good game he knows that army so well and it's got so many tools so i tried but um it was not yeah. to be um yeah and then i played jamie um wicks who I've played once before down at the store. Um, he is playing Corn, and Corn are really good at the moment. <laughs> so he pretty much had what I consider to be basically the net, mm. not the net list, but if you're if you're running Corn, you should pretty much be running Scarbrand, Bloodthirster of Unfettered Fury with Firebrand for the two prayers with the move a monster and then pull a unit and the no wards um, artifact and then 20 bloodletters with a herald with the always strikes first artifact in blood lords which is the five ups do mortals when they charge um and then just reavers and other stuff to just get blood tithe and die and um yeah it was just super hard like he he pushed up i won turn two prior and i think i made a mistake by giving it away because he this was in um uh what's the mission um why doesn't it say what the mission is on here uh Huh, interesting. Uh, I thought the uh, app tabletop battles that I'm using said what the mission was, but it doesn't look like it does. Um, but it was Spring the Trap as well. So he took Scarbrand off the table for Spring the Trap, which is perfect because he has a 3d6 charge naturally. So um, he's actually really good to just be like, I'm going to appear and probably very likely make my charge. So I um, I took my big block of 30 Reavers off as well because i didn't know what i wanted to do with them um but yeah so i gave away turn two because i didn't have a juicy spot for the reavers to get in and like shoot the bloodthirster or whatever and i didn't want scarbrand mm. to then come on go straight into them kill them and then him be on for a double anyway um but i think i was probably too worried about him getting a double then i should have been if I had just taken the turn and like charged my 30 tools into his blood letters, put my reavers on and shot them and like a double back from an army that you've done a lot of damage into is obviously a lot less scary. Mm. So, um, mm. yeah, but I, I, I gave away the turn and then it just took so much to try and kill him. Like 20 blood letters is 40 wounds. And if you're not near them, they get the more wound save, um, like for shooting and yeah, it just, just trying to drop a bloodthirster or drop Scarbrand or whatever, just, um, <clears throat> I was playing on my my board edges the whole time rather than actually being on the objectives as well. So his reavers and dogs could just kind of sit on the objectives and I just didn't... He can go through two 30 blocks and then my army doesn't really have anything. It's just support characters. So um, ended up getting a loss there, 26-11. Um, but another great game. So like day one, I'd had three great games against um, really good opponents. So that was good. Um in the evening, we just chilled out, had a bit of dinner, um, nothing too crazy. Um, and then, yeah, I um, I just drove back and kind of had a decent night's sleep and drove back in the morning. Um, 
yeah, it's nice. not too, not too far from the in-laws down there. So yeah, I just oh, cool. was sens- yeah. I, it was sensible. I wasn't drinking loads through the day, knowing I was going to be driving, etc. So mm. um, it wasn't too much of a crazy a, a tournament away, given it was just down the road, really. So um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, day two though, I was like, okay, I don't want to go. I really don't want to go one and four. Um, I'd like to go at least two, three. Um, hopefully three, two. But um, we started. Know the off feel- in- I know the we- feeling, Chris. <laughs> we um, <laughs> we we started off with um, Magakin um on day two, um, and that was Glockin with. Oh, he so he had ten plague bearers, twenty plague bearers, um, like Sloppity Bar Piper, some Nurglings, some drones, Glockin, five Blight Kings, and the Harbinger. So um, yeah. not like a. Like no flies, no Lord of Afflictions, etc. So, um, a very much kind of Nurgle collection. Yeah, probably not something that's like top top tier, as you say. The Plague Bearers. Yes, there's a lot of wounds, and they're quite resilient for how cheap they are. But they don't they don't really do a lot, and they have a crap armor save, so they're not actually that resilient. If they basically are just relying on their five up ward um, and can't do any damage back, I guess they kind of lose in prolonged fights and stuff like that. But um I got a 2711 here. Um I kind of pushed forwards, kept nice. my wall kept my wall up, got the half charge spell off on the Glockin. Um, which is big because he's next to a terrain piece and then behind five Blight Kings, so he can't he can't charge forward um because of the Blight Kings. And if he wants to go off by the side, like he's gonna need a big charge once he's on half charge. So turn two, I picked the battle tactic, which is charge in with a hero and a battle line. And make sure that you're still within three, um, which actually my idolon, yeah. my idolon's actually really good for because he is a resilient hero that I can kind of throw forward into something like he doesn't hit very hard, but he can survive. And all you need for that tactic is for one of those two units to still be within three at the end of the turn. Yeah. So I yeah. I normally do that tactic with him, and I just flew him in and charged off to the side into the harbinger. Because I was like, the Harbinger's not going to kill me, and I'm not going to kill it. Um, so obviously he tried to do the Glockin counter charge, and he did roll an 11, to to be fair. So it was like, oh, 11. He's like, because you've picked that battle tactic where you have to charge. And if I charge your hero, you're going to fail the tactic. And I was like, yeah. And he goes to measure it out, and I was like, you're half charged there, remember? There's nothing within six There's nothing within six of you. So um, that was good. That spell was useful. Um but yeah, the Blight Kings charged me, which it was on the no pile in turn, which is fair because I my thralls were in a big long line. Um, but two inch reach has definitely helped them, and I was set up to have my five up ward and my plus one to wound, etc. Um, but even so, with all my buffs, I think I was twos to hit, exploding sixes, twos to wound, rend two effectively, and damage two, and mm. I still only killed four Blight Kings. like 20 like i did 20 wounds because they had the extra wound spell on them as well so i was just like fucking hell like that's only a unit of five like only a unit of five so if that had been a unit of 10 blight kings to be honest thralls are paper he probably would have with six of them on this like he probably would have killed like two-thirds of my unit (laughs) he was hitting me back so um yeah it was one of those things it's just like jesus christ um Oh, man. But yeah, um, <laughs> I managed. To, I managed to get the win anyway. Like it was, it was. I was worried for time 
kind of going into three, but then he pretty quickly from there went, ah, oh, look, mate, I think we can just call, like talk it out from here because you're going to kill the Glock in this turn. This is going to die. You've already taken this objective, so you're going to score more every turn. All these Reavers are in the middle of the board. They're going to shoot my Plague Bearers and take my objectives. Like, And I was like, yeah, that's a fair assessment probably of what's going to happen. Um, so mm. that was good because I was like, I want to finish the game. I don't want to just not get through and kind of go, oh, well, I've lost my points here. I haven't got my grand strat. I haven't seen how it's gone. And um, I don't want to push someone that's fairly new as well. And I don't want to be having that conversation at the end of five and trying to be forceful on someone that is like, oh, I don't know how that would have gone. But he was like, oh, nah, it's fine. I, I know how this game's going to go. So I was like, okay, cool. Appreciate appreciate that. Um, mm. So, yeah, I got I got my wins. So I was like, okay, we're out of, we're out of, danger danger territory now of going one four we're on we're on two two um i want to try and try and get to that three two but i was okay going two three i guess um so then i drew soul blight so i got to play um elizabeth um with her vehicle list and this was like 30 dogs plus the 10 that they can summon Mm -hmm. 20 like 20 grave guard um and then a vampire lord on zombie dragon with I don't know if you if you looked at this, but the um, it was an artifact in the old book that just kind of demonstrates how much they've lifted that book. In it used to be like once per game you could activate the standard. I think it's standard of the Orphan Watch or something. Yeah, and yeah. Like once per it used to be once per game you could activate it, and then like every time your opponent spends a CP that turn, wholly within twelve on a six, you get a CP or something. Hmm. It is now. The entire game, the entire battlefield, when your opponent spends a CP on a four up, you get a CP. That's fine. And I was like, it's pretty good. Jesus Christ. Because I'm like, I'm going to all out attack. And they're like, cool, I get a CP. And every time they get that, my army, especially with lots of Ren 1, is something that's like trying to go, like if I'm going second or whatever. So I'm trying to draw down my opponent's cp so they run out of cp to go all out defense against shooting all out defense in combat inspiring presence so every time i'm like okay well i'm gonna all out attack and they just get one for free i was like oh my god (laughs) and you could just use that for their all out defense (laughs) yeah it was like oh cool and i kind of it got to the point where i just stopped asking if they had cp because elizabeth was like always rolling the four ups so i was just like all right Yep, cool. Um, so yeah, that artifact is really good. Um, and then the fact that they also have a five-up ward bubble artifact um, as well. Yeah. They, can go, they can go on Belladama, who palms off wounds to dogs on a three-up is really good too. So yeah, yeah. Um, three-up, five-up. <laughs> but yeah, I fa- that list basically I fail. I set up in my defensive castle, fully ready for the vampire lord on zombie dragon to come into my thralls, and be like, it's not going to kill me. And then I should be able to like chop it up get my spells off, shoot it, and it should die within like a turn or two. I regrow my thralls and then I go back through the rest of the army. No. <laughs> Vampire Lord Vampire Lord did not die. It lived I think the turn I tried the, the turn I tried to kill it, I think I got it down to two wounds left, maybe even one wound left. Um, mm. And then it just like, yeah, I couldn't get any of my spells off against it to like worsen its armor save against Rend or anything like that and um i think even i got 20 i decided not to put my reaver shooting into the grave guard because i was like all these shots on the vamp onto a three up because it didn't have mystic shield and it had already used finest hour 
So it's like, okay, mm. it'll be on a three-up save even when it all-out defenses. And I have my whole Reaver unit here. Like, I'm going to burn my Triumph. This should be pretty good. Um, so I made it take, like, 21 armor saves. So I was like, okay, it should take, like, seven here. And then it took two. And I was Oof. like, oh, okay. <laughs> so then when it just <laughs> didn't die after combat by, like, two, because as soon as it doesn't die, it attacks me, kills Thralls, and heals six. And I'm just yeah. like... And now it's never dying, and I've lost the game because it's going to eat my thralls, and I can't kill it now. Basically, so that was pretty much it. I was like, I know I'm going to be pinned in for a turn, but then I kill the vamp, and then I can push my way back through. But I just didn't happen. The vamp, the vamp got through, and then that and the grave guard killed my thralls, and then as soon as they're gone, the reavers just die, um, and I just can't, couldn't do anything. So it wasn't even a case of it took me too long to kill Elizabeth. She like killed me as soon as she got through the thrall screen my army just falls apart and i like pretty much got tabled so yeah ended up going uh going two three for the weekend um but all five of my opponents were great and i had five great games um which is all you can want really like taking deepkin now i'm taking them because i'm just trying to get practice and stuff in for runax and yeah i know they're not doing very well at the moment without sharks anyway and i had no sharks so um yeah i think going two three is probably about right for them um but yeah. um, I walked away with second best sports, which was awesome. So um, oh, awesome! Nice. That, that was um, that was a massive thing for me. In all honesty, I had kind of been thinking about going home before the awards ceremony to like drive back up to Brisbane um, to get back yeah. to dinner and stuff. But because I was like, oh, I'm not gonna, I'm not getting anything at this stage. I may as well kind of head home. But I was like, no, I'll mm. stay for the awards. That would be a bit shit to not stay for the awards. So um, yeah, I stayed, and then they yeah called me out for second best sports, and I was genuinely like. That's oh, awesome. awesome. That's like totally. that, that hundred percent makes like the whole weekend worth it. Like I'd had five really fun games as well, but it's, um, it's funny. It's something that I don't feel like the way I approach or play the game has changed, but I've mm. stopped, I guess I'm not taking top tier lists anymore. And like, obviously I'm not at the top tables and it is funny how like the last two events I've gone to now, I've got second best sports and I never got sports. Yeah, I never got sports. I never got mm. sports awards before. So I definitely yeah. wonder if there is something there about like even if you have mm. a good game against someone, not <laughs> wanting to not wanting to vote for the person that's maybe like beating you in a game or not. So it's yeah, it's been a bit of a thought experiment recently of what do I mm. want from a weekend away if I'm not going to try and win? I'm pretty mm. happy to take a an that's army sports. that I I'm proud. I'm proud of, and it looks cool on the table. And just tr try and see what I can do. Like I'll never take something that I know is just going to lose every single game. Um, mm -hmm. But if I can try and play something and push for push for some games, then that's that's fun. But um, yeah. but yeah, Goldcon was great, and um, Scott and Nicole did an awesome job. Um, so it was won by um, Tim McDivitt, who took his KO. I think he had a bit of a last minute list pivot because um, he had been playing Slanesh, but. I don't think was really enjoying them. Um, and then, yeah, ended up taking KO and obviously a good choice for him. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he he took it out. Um, he beat Jordy, who went through to the final game by, like, a couple of points. So I think it was super, super close. Um, but, yeah, Tim Tim took it out. Um, and then second place was Brad Van Doren with Gloom Spike Gits. Um, like, mostly a troll list, but with all the kind of support pieces. Um to like scrag rot gobblepalooza all that usual kind of stuff a couple of cheap shamans etc but like four times three rock guts some um fell waters 
couple of dank holds, mm-hmm. the big troll. So very much a trog list. Um, and yeah, he was like smashing people. So he played he played Dave Kerr's list, who had like six Varangard and Incarnate, etc. And the, mm-hmm. the two dank holds just smashed all of it. Um, so yeah, it he did really well. And yeah, five zero in second, and then third was Dave. Um, so yeah, four one, but he had big wins with his weird slaves list that i think just gets to pick which marks it wants and he was doing loads yeah. of cool stuff with the incarnate and the vanguard from everything i hear so um and then to just call geordie out there he got fourth just um narrowly missing out there but um yeah it was really good and um, best painted i think went to seth who's um james you'll have seen his stuff when you've come up to runax um i think one year he had the ogres on the ice like the icy terrain board um and he uh, he had yeah. that army he's he's had a really nice stormcast army more recently but he mm. got his he got his ogres out um and he got yeah best painted i think for that which is awesome, awesome. um yeah. cool nice and yeah um so yeah it was really cool they did a scott and nicole did a really fun approach to like the lucky door prizes on the the saturday night um which was they got a giant inflatable dice and they basically had like normal <laughs> like normal prize bags on the floor that were like closed. Yeah. You didn't know what was in them, but like middle range kind of prizes. And then they had a, a table of the really cool stuff, like a magniture case and stuff like that. And they basically were like, lucky dip, your name gets called out. You can take a bag or you can roll the dice. And if you get a six, you can pick something from the big table. So um, everyone, or, and everyone so was... If you, you don't, if you, um, if you opt to roll the dice and don't roll the six, you get nothing. Correct. Until you, unless, <laughs> unless your unless your name comes back around on the lucky draw. Um, That's fantastic. It, it was this big fucking giant inflatable dice. Um, yeah. And yeah, it was pretty funny. Like Pat Carter, Pat Carter got called out straight away. Mm. I think. Um, like his name came out. He goes, "Give me the dice." Looks at it, finds the six side, and kind of <laughs> just like drops it, throws it up, but like spinning on that axis. So okay. it's like, I'm like, oh, everyone was like, this is how he rolls priority. Um, <laughs> but he just like throws it up in the air and it comes around and gets the six. Um, uh... and then he, um, <laughs> he chose this cool like, LED light mat thing. But a lot of people were trying to do that when my name eventually came around. I think the magniture case was still on the table and I do really want one of those cases. Yeah. And I was like, I definitely could do this six thing and throw it and have a pretty good chance of doing this. But I was like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. I just turned around, closed my eyes and chucked it over my head and just hoped. But um, nah, it was not to be. I didn't get it. So um, I think on the next, <laughs> I, my name came out just before the end and I got a back. I think I got some Tim Tams um, in the end, <laughs> but it was, um, it was really fun. It was a really good way of doing it. Um, yeah. And yeah, everyone just, yeah having a bit of fun in the evening on the saturday as well so it meant that it didn't take up time on the sunday awards ceremony it was a cool way of doing it too um mm-hmm. so yeah um yeah scott and nicole did a great great um job and yeah it's definitely a staple up here now in queensland and yeah i'll be there next year um yeah. hopefully and um yeah congrats to all the winners and yeah thanks again to all my opponents um for giving me five great games um yeah. so yeah that no, was really fun yeah Actually, speaking of lucky door prizes, um, yeah, Bathurst did the spin the wheel um, sort of th- sort of situation. My name came up, and I went and got a, a box of um, a Vanguard Doors of Cain box. Oh, cool! 
But apparently, and this one was actually, I think um, Liam donated this um, box to the tournament. I think he'd won it at another event. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I'm carrying on the tradition, so I might donate it to the next... um, the next event and just you, keep it going. <laughs> you got to <laughs> I'm going to bring it to Blood Riot and put it on the prize table. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice. <clears throat> All right. Should we yeah, um, cool. should we take a quick break there and then um, we can come back and talk to Tom about his amazing painting? Sure. Yeah. from the break um so we've uh, talked about bathurst gt uh we've uh talked about uh gold con um and so now we're going to uh have a chat about hobby so um tom just wanted to um pick your brains and just um yeah just see like where you're coming from with the hobby and like sort of how how you got into it like for people who aren't familiar with you like um just sort of a bit of hobby history um, and then sort of how you got into the painting side of things, sort of where you started out and kind of, you know, what kind of techniques you kind of started off with and how you grew, if there was any inspirational um, painters that you um, that you got into that helped, like, grow you and, uh, you know, um, yeah, just tell us, tell us everything, man. Like, we'd love to hear, hear, hear <laughs> more about you. Give me your secrets. You can feel <laughs> it. James is like, give me your wizardry. <laughs> yeah like um well yeah for people at home uh listening um yeah tom's tom's um, really been um coming up in the in the age of sigma scene i know he's got a long history of um gaming and other systems and things like that so um yeah so just keen to hear more about it and uh yeah get some insights so yeah go over to you yeah. um tom yeah yeah, sweet man. Um, so I've been doing hobby for far too long at this point. I'm, I'm not I'm not an old dude by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but I've been doing hobby. I think it's like 22 years this year. Um, so so and I'm I'm just in my 30 like just in my 30s now. So um, fa- like I, I have like a really weird sort of into the hobby, um, which was I was about like nine ten years old when um, weirdly like and this is going to be like a, a weird walk down like world history lane. I'm about nine or ten years old when uh, September 11 happened, and um, I remember like like this is sort of the, the way that I got into it um, was that like broad, it was broadcasted everywhere um, at the time. It was like sort mm-hmm. of um, yeah we were young, and Mum sort of had this um, thing. She was like, yeah, the world's just like like staying at home. Like the, it's just getting like sad and depressing because it's just this nonstop bombardment of like oh, always me. I have this like really vivid memory memory in my house when I was really really young at the time. So she um she took me and my sister out um for like just a day out um together and we went like saw a movie and then walked past this this um weird little hole in the wall shop um which had like these cool little figures in, in and I was like oh that looks pretty cool um which you know is adult me being really cool about it young me was probably like that looks sick let's go and buy some of that mum um but we went inside and um 
uh, the, the dudes that were in uh, this game's workshop at, uh, you know, up in northwestern Sydney um, were like super, super friendly. And um, they sent me down straight away and, and got me and did the whole like, you know, paint a second dead space marine. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, we walked out with like what, you know, I got, mum was like super nice. She bought me like with the, um, the little five paint set five space marine set that you used to be oh, able yeah. to get and um <laughs> yeah and um and that that sort of kept me going for like months like and i was i was obsessed with it um and like took my time and all that sort of stuff um and i found out around the same time like uh, one of my uncles who i'm, I'm really close with has, had actually been doing the hobby like way back like you know like back in road tra- road trader days so there was like this little connection within the family and that sort of was a really cool gateway into getting into like nerddom and you know role playing games and and all that sort of yeah. jazz. And so mm. so around the same time was when Lord of the Rings game first popped out. Like I think I was in the shop like like the, for the first or second time like the week that that game dropped. Oh, and cool. so um, yeah, I got into that and I loved the movies and I was all over that. And so Christmas and birthdays, like you know, uh, my, my folks were really cool about it um, in terms of like they were happy to buy me any paint that I that I was after. Which wasn't at a lot at that point. It was like you know a silver, a gold, you know one of each of the primary colors, and like chestnut ink because that that was what everybody needed at the time. And um, <laughs> and and I went nuts for it. And and so like Christmas and birthdays would roll around, and and so as the, like the Lord of the Rings movies kept coming out, I was I was getting more and more into it. Sort of kept going with that for a little while. Um, you know, was learning bits and pieces here and there, but but you know, I was paying like a kid. And then high school happened, and I got a little bit too cool for for Warhammer for a little while, and got really into really into like you know being in punk rock bands and stuff. And so did that instead. Um, and it was actually when I was doing my HSC, uh, I was like where where we lived out in North, like you know, is sort of this rural part of um, of northern Sydney. So there wasn't a lot around. Uh, a lot of there was a lot around, um, and I was actually like catching a bus like an hour a day to go to like the, the, the local library, um, which was at this shopping center where there was a, a games workshop. And I, um, I was, I was there studying during the day and sort of walked past it every couple of times. Like, I, I like, you know, it's been like two years at this point. Like, and I was like, this, you know, things look pretty cool. It's like, you know, the shops changed a little bit, uh, some new cool miniatures. They'd started doing some of the really cool, um, like revamps. So a lot of the second stuff was phasing out and these new kids were coming in. I went in and, and it sort of became like this this ritual for like three months of like I'd go there, I'd go to the, the library like, you know, all day um, on the weekends or after school or anything like that. And then I'd wind up at the games workshop and I like bought like a Dark Angels set, like, you know, the cool tactical Marines with the robes um, and, and just burnt through that for a little while. Like just, you know, every day I'd go in and paint like half an hour, like, and then and then, and then get on the bus and head home. Um, and then... Post HFC, um, I, I was when I sort of got really into it, like, you know, had freedom. I, was, I had a car for the first time, which was really, really cool. And so this this time in between like, you know, school and uni, I got deep into it and painted like an army. Like, you know, and I think that's where my my need to paint armies quickly came from. Um, so I painted, like, painted, painted, painted all summer. Uh, started uni and then uh, had this weird connection where a, a friend of mine was after some, com- like had, was actually doing some commission painting for a dude who was getting like everything under the sun commission painted and he was, and War of the Ring was really big at the time. Hmm. Uh, and so I picked up this like commission job, which had like, I think I had like three or 400 um, Minas Tirith warriors. And- oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it, it was this huge, huge, huge um, commission project, 
it took me about two years to paint but in that time i was just like getting really good at sort of locking down um technique and, and locking down really quick painting uh because it was, i was painting all the time and so that's where i got like a lot of the fundamentals down pat um was hanging out with with one of my mates who you know was, is, a, is a, an exceptional artist um and in that shop there were a couple of really 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 good painters uh one of one of whom um we ralphie or andrew ralph was actually like you know, he'd actually won quite a few golden demon trophies in his lifetime and so okay. cool. i got to do a bit of apprenticing under his wings for a couple of years while he was while he was still in the area so i picked up a lot of you know a lot of color theory and um yeah. and and technique there um but it's been a really gradual like but my 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 sort of painting technique as it were has been a really gradual process of just picking up little bits and pieces from different people along the way um, whether it be how to use really vibrant colors in the right spots or uh, blending or, or anything like that um you know i picked up the, an airbrush for the first time because um ralphie actually had one and i wanted to paint um this Groppa, which was like a forge world um exclusive um 40k model which is basically a, a tiny little like orc but a robot with a gretchen on the, the side it's this really cool characterful model um and i really wanted to nail down the yellow for it and so like, like as an example he was just like come on one day and we'll just like i'll show you how an airbrush works and we can like sort of nail that down and learn about how to use oil paints and um pigments at the same time and mm. and so there's like a lot of like just those little apprentice moments which i was really really fortunate to have and that really spurred my passion um and then, uh, and at that point, we'd gotten a really good rhythm of um, like a painting community in the local area too. So we'd actually set up this thing and I'd recommend this to anybody. Um, if you've got like a, a store that you hang out with, um, with or like a little close-knit group, we did like a, um, like, like what GW does now with the miniature of the month, but we'd sort of, the, the, we do a little painting comp every month where um, you would pick a miniature. Everyone would go and buy that miniature and we'd do a painting comp and the winner basically just gets, got to pick the next month's mini oh, cool. um, yeah. which was, it was which was a really cool way of sort of just flexing out on different um different types of models of paint yeah. um and yeah so we did that for a couple of years and then um and i sort of got a little bit into gaming at that point like i still i'd played like you know small games like what you'd see probably get played in games workshop stores now that like sort of just yeah. beyond introductory level size games um but I, i'd started to get into fantasy uh when the Isle of Blood box came out, I got really into Skaven. Um, oh, yeah. That, that, that became my army, painted up a huge amount of rats. Um, and I was enjoying the game quite a bit. And and I think it was that edition change into um, seventh or eighth, which is where we saw, uh, for anybody where playing at home, where you saw like, you know, spells become really, really, really game changing. Like, you know, Dwellers Below, Purple Sun, yeah. really just mm. changed the nature of the game. Um, I was like, uh, yeah, I, I get this, but I don't know if this is like my my style of game. And so I was just doing a flick around on, at the time, Cool Mini or Not, which was sort of your place to go yep. um, <laughs> to, to, to see all the different miniature ranges and what people were doing with miniatures that was cool. And I was like, this War Machine game, like I like the idea of these steampunk robots and these big monsters. And I saw the Trollbloods, um, which were like good guy orcs. And, and I was I was like in hook, line and sinker. And, and it turns out the game was, was phenomenal and, and still is a, a, an amazing game. Um, very, very and, and it was, um, and that's sort of where I got into my gaming, but also into my painting because there was, I was sort of, um, the the painting guides that came out with um, the, the second edition War Machine books were quite phenomenal. At um, that, that time they had Meg Maples as their studio painter and she was doing all of their, 
all of their painting guides, which is like sort of think like the, the old heavy metal guides where they were really detailed with how to do their painting stuff and yeah. then turn it up a gear. Like, like she's an except, she was an exceptional writer and presenter for their, their book um, painting instructions. And if you can find them, they're really, really handy for sort of learning how to play with colors to sort of establish different blends and tones and colors. And so like I learned to paint, yeah. um, like, you know, to this day, I, I still use like one of the techniques, for example, which is where to like shade flesh, um, like I don't use flesh washes or anything like that. It's actually about mixing green and brown paint, uh, green and red paints together um, at different stages of your of your shading, your highlighting, and working mm -hmm. blues and purples into the face, and um, yep. and all that sort of stuff. And so I was like learning there. I was learning from um, a lot of articles that Seb Archer used to do, who's um, one of the dudes. I think he now runs the Crimson Brush Competition at um, yep. at Cancom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, like, so he and Kyle Morgan were writing like heaps of really cool articles at that point. And I was learning about like, you know, temperature zones on painting. So thinking about like, where does your light hit? Um, you know, have like sort of based on the light you want, you'll have your, your um, warm tones um, in the light and you'll use cool colors throughout. So if I was painting skin, for example, like the shading would actually be done with like turquoises and blues rather than reds mm. and browns. Um, and you're and you'd be using yellows to to highlight in the higher ends, and you'd be using sort of whites and um, pinks to to highlight in the, the low, like the the, the the shaded areas. Yeah, um, yeah. So it was it was sort of picking up little little ideas like that, and and how to sort of unpack how to use color, where to place it, um, and then techniques sort of come from there. And I don't think I'm the I don't think I'm the most meticulous painter in the world, um, at least for armies. But I think there's a lot to be said for just sort of picking up. Um, really good color placement and um, and and knowing how to make an effect pop or a color pop. So yes, yeah, so I've, I've been doing like you know that and sort of just been following that process for a long time. And and yeah, I've got an, I've got an Instagram that is just for, just for painting, and it's now kind of the only social media that I really engage with outside of like Messenger. Um, but um, that sort of becomes my my learning space because there's so many amazing artists on there, um, guys like. Um, yeah, NRM Paint um, from Denmark or um, yeah, uh, Angel Geraldas, who I've got like, you know, I bought his books. And, and again, if you want to sort of do, level up your painting with like one of the best resources you can just have as a physical um, product. Um, so, so, and so now it's just about like looking and reading constantly through PDFs and um, posts and, and little, little videos mm. online. Yeah. And that's sort of been like my, my big process behind. Um, painting and and one thing that i, I definitely think I, I do quite well is is um consistency and and speed at this point so um mm -hmm. yeah and, and that's that's my happy place because I'm, I'm not a particularly focused person in a lot of things in life so as long as i can keep moving on to the next thing i'm, <laughs> I'm quite happy so i'm painting like a unit of raptodons at the moment which has taken me almost a month to do and i'm going mental on this project like i'm just i'm ready to like just <laughs> they look great i'm ready to throw them in because i'm just so um just get sort of the next thing on the table yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I just want to move on, move on, move on, move on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's sort of been like my process and my, sort of my, my, my background in, in painting. It's been a, been a long past. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Do, yeah, like do you, do you paint on your own or do you paint like with people to motivate? Cause it sounds like in your early days you were like painting in a G-Dub store, like getting guidance from them and then doing this painting group but were you like online and all sitting together painting, I guess back then probably less so, but yeah, just curious for like for your motivation or has that changed over time as well? Is that something where you sit and paint with 
Yeah, really good question. I I love to paint with people, and I don't do it at all anymore. I think um, we had a like we had a really good G Dub um, up near near where I live now at Castle Hill, and they've moved into a much smaller store now. So that that went off the table. Like, they used to be one of the bunker battle bunkers for Sydney. Like it was a huge shop and it was really light, and you could go and so there was sort of like a group of about twenty people that you could like you know you oh, could wow. go into the shop at any one time, and there'd be somebody there, and it was this really cool little social group and and yeah. great community um and then we had a uh, like you know and then that moved into a smaller shop and so that sort of died out but we had a, a good games open up um locally and then that, that which was this gigantic shop um and that was really cool unfortunately that, that that business didn't last all that long and that was sort of the end of um and at that point i'd sort of moved out of the area and i was sort of driving back to hang out with my mates um and that when that sort of ended that like that store i um that was sort of the end of me painting with other people which is bad but, but it lined up with like covid and and um lockdowns and, and where everybody got to have some you know enforced alone time um and so at that time we like you know we bought our, bought our place and I, I upgraded my paint storage from this little art box that i had from eckersley's that had about like you know i think it's sort of about 90 something paints in there um, and I've now got like a hobby room. So I've got like, you know, five different paint racks with different, like, you know, and each rack has, is full of a different brand of paint. And so it's quite, got quite like this permanent setup. So I paint yeah. by myself now and it's my relaxation time outside of work and, yeah, uh, and, and all that. Um, but I'd like, you know, I've, I've never thought about trying to line up, like line up online, um, like painting sessions with people. I'm, I'm quite a, a Luddite in that respect um, as far as using technology to connect with people. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it's been sort of like a, a bit of a change over time in that respect. Yeah, yeah. I really like what um, you're saying about um, using different colours to, um, like, just using the flesh as, as an example. Like, mm. so instead of sort of doing a base colour wash, like you're using cooler colors to do the shading and warmer colors to do like the, like the bits closer to light. And it just kind of reminded mm. me a bit of, um, I don't know if, um, if you've seen or heard of craft world studio. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I don't know if, um, people on people listening, just, um, jump on your phone and have a look at, um, craft, do a search for craft world studio on Facebook or on Instagram. And <clears throat> they've done some of the, They've obviously gotten a hold of some of the new cities models um, and they've done some fantastic uh, work on that. But it's really just looking at it now, like um, what's the new general guy who's holding his helm oh, the he's with the cape, the marshal. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. just looking at him now, like looking at the, the armor and stuff, they're using like purples yep. for the shade, for the shadows and um, you know, purples like reflections, and like you look at his face, and you can I can kind of get a sense of what you're what you're talking about. Like, um, and oh, what's the name of the the guy with the like he's holding that sort of cauldron of molten? Oh, the alchemite something something. Yeah. Alchemite, yeah. Like there's yeah. a bit, there's an image of him there. So, if, um, yeah, I can just sort of see as that purples in the darker recesses, and you know, obviously the warmer colors for the brighter, but it just works. Mm. It's just looks amazing. Um, so is that kind of like, yeah, is that the kind of thing that you're, that you're kind of describing? Is that kind of in oh, that ballpark, I guess? Like, yeah, absolutely. I, I would love yeah. to be able to do what, what they do. And um, yeah, 
I guess there's this kind of like a bit of a laziness on my part in that I like, you know, they do plenty of content that then I just haven't paid for it to, to grab it at this point. Yeah. Um, but that, that's, a, but the way that they, um, the way that they use color is exactly what I would love to do. And they, they're sort of at a very, um, very sort of, sort of advanced. Up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also very um, exaggerated use of color in that they, they're yeah. not like, you know, they don't use little spots here and there. Like they'll, flat out commit to like you know an underside being a blue tone and an upside yeah. being a pink zone that alchemite is a really good example if you look at the handles of the cauldron like you know that the top layer layer the sort of the top surfaces of the handles have like pinks and oranges through them and the undersides are painted almost exclusively in blues and the yeah. thing that's tying yeah. them together is they've, they've clearly used the same um the same highlight tone to to mix those the highlights for those surfaces yeah um yeah. that's that's a very very similar to, to what i've done uh, or what I do, I don't do it anywhere near as well as they do, but a very similar theory. And um, a, yeah. a good example of this would be the way that I do non-metallic um, like golds for it, for example. And um, uh, I'm just looking at like I'm painting some reptiles at the moment. I've got them in, in front of me. And so um, even just like paint, like there's not a lot of crazy technique to the way that I've, I've done them as far as it's just like tidy painting and good line highlighting. But what makes it actually look like the gold is that I just take like a, a turquoise um, once I've done all the, the yellows and stuff hmm, and I just yeah. glaze the underside of it with a turquoise. And yeah. so it looks like it's cold underneath. There's a cold light coming from below and then, and then use a bit of yellow ink on top to make it look really yellow on top. So you're kind of tint, like it, using the tints. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And, and that yeah. sort of just gives you that dynamicism in, in the way that it light looks like it's hitting there, which is very different to how like a, the heavy metal studio paint Um their, yeah. their, their, their box art stuff is something that I can't replicate. I'm, it, my, my brain, my eyes don't like, you know, do that, like paint that way, which is very clean and sort yeah. of like lights hitting everything from all angles all at once. So like I sort of like to live in that world of a bit of exaggerated color and yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, um, and like almost like with the craft world stuff, like mm. it's not um, like when you look at it up close, like it's not precision painting. It's like, it's almost like it's sketched like a oil painting or something like that. Like you're looking at a work of art kind of thing. Yeah. I just like, I just love it. It it just works. It looks amazing. And I think it's a really cool. Um, yeah. Just a cool example of what you're getting at. Like um, just helping me understand it. So yeah, that's really cool. I've got to try some, some more of this stuff. Yeah, man. And they got some really good videos on there where like, I think there was one a while back, which like, sorry, I'm just, like extemporaneously um mm. where they've got like a it's like a queen or a badge i think it was like one of the blood bowl tokens or sort of in that sort of size range and it wound up being non-metallic metal but it was this sort of like um this little video they did and they're just slapping color down to start with and it's really this really amazing process where it look at the start it almost looks like a five-year-old's just smashing color onto this you know, the, there's no care, there's no precision yeah, yeah. to it. And <laughs> by the end of it, it's this like really, really, really beautiful, um, like just little play on color and um, in non-metallics. And it's where like, you know, miniature painting, I think has come a really long way, like, you know, compared to any other art form. And I would consider mini painting an art form. I wouldn't consider, wouldn't consider myself an artist, but I do consider miniature painting an art form. It's had yeah. the sort of the fastest um, development um, and growth and evolution of any art style that I could really think of. Like it's only been around for, like, as a, as a, even if you think let's track it with golden demons, it's only been around for like 28 years at this point Yeah, where yeah. people have, have been actively thinking about technique and, and that. And so you've had, you know, flat surface painting you've had for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years. 
to it to yeah. evolve in that time. And and we're now seeing these amazingly creative people come out and sort of shatter some myths that you know that a painting has to be this like you know it has to be a perfect blend smooth surface. Um, it's actually usually not those perfect finishes finishes and those perfect transitions and that that flawless blending that gives miniatures that character and that that vibrancy in life that yeah that push things beyond um yeah absolutely yeah i'm just uh i've brought up your um instagram now so people listening um go over to tomo paints on um instagram <laughs> um just looking bring up your black kings mm. And um, and your uh, Bellacore as well. So I just have just checking out those, and now thinking through that that lens of um, what we've just been talking about. So yeah, I can sort of see like on like particularly that Black King with the uh, the tongue that's coming out with the with the teeth and yep. and all that. You can sort of see like on the around like the the belly, the kind of bruising and stuff. You kind of like this purple sort of. Um, I wouldn't say wash, but it's just like a yeah. You've got like a purple bruising around there. Is that kind of using that kind of is that like that tinting um, yeah. technique you were talking about, like to sort of apply in that spot there, and like on the helmet as well, like in the darker recesses there. Like, did you do the same kind of thing? Absolutely, on the, like the yeah. armor plating and stuff. Absolutely, and and you'll see so, like if you look at that one in particular, like the and and um, there's some great up, great close up pictures of these miniatures, courtesy of. Uh, the Mortal Blade painting competition, which everyone should enter in 2024. Yeah. Um, but uh, if yeah. you look in that, that, there's a close-up of that dude who has the the tongue coming out of his belly. And there's a few examples of what I'm talking about in there. Um, so the, the armor, absolutely. And, and you'll see sort of on the underside the of the helmet um, on the jaw, like the, the green goes a little bit bluer. And I've, I've literally just taken, um, it's a paint called Meridius Blue from P3, which is this really beautiful turquoise paint. Um, yeah. A really thin glaze. And that's just been glazed just along the final highlights just to, to blue them up or on mm. the underside of the, the sword, the non-metallics, like that's just been, again, glazed right before I do the white highlights at the end of it. Um, yep. If you, in the background, you can see there's a dude, like this, he's like got a bald head um, and it's all running away. He's got like three um, non-metallic gold circles sort of making the Nurgle logo on his chest. Yeah. So like the, the undersides of those are very, very turquoise and the top side of that is very, very red and brown. Um, is sort of where the, where that light play is happening, and, and it's just it's a pr probably a pretty good example of of how that all um, how that all comes together. And it's it, it's funny where you think like you know if I'm going to paint yellow, I'm going to paint yellow. Like gold is a yellow color, but um, it's actually things like blues, reds, and purples and greens that make like a, a, a technique like that really really pop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looking at that bald guy again, like of. Just looking at the the three sort of Nurgle circles on his breastplate, you can really see like in the now I'm looking a lot closer, you can see like in the the bottom half of though, there's that is that that turquoise glaze you're yeah. talking about? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, you can really kind of now that I'm like yeah, now you've kind of explained it a little, I can you can sort of pick out those details like with, with a different mindset when you're looking at it. Mm. Yeah, it's cool. And it's super easy to do. Like it's it's um like it, it it takes like you know a little bit of thinking and, and placement and and, and sometimes a little bit of a little bit of little bit of precision but like the the paint yeah. that i'm using is like that i use for that is so thinned down and, and like it's, it's about mm. making sure that your brush doesn't have a lot on it but you don't have to be super careful with it. it it's a technique that like a lot of people could you know could pick up straight away and it's just like i'm going to finish a model and i'm going to basically 
glaze the the underside of everything with like a blue and just see if that pops yeah, or, so. you know, hmm. and, and, and it, it doesn't take a lot of effort like that's something that i do five minutes at the end of the paint job of that model to just sort of as like a finishing touch yeah right yeah cool that's awesome yeah yeah is there something in terms of like paint ranges or particular paint colors that draws you in do you will you paint with all paint colors you don't have any sort of preferences of working with um or are you someone that you could definitely see certain artists just they have like a couple of colors that they always love using because whether it's the properties of the paint or they just understand like those colors and they know what works well for them but how how does like i guess paint color and paint like properties of different paint ranges kind of influence your painting if at all it does it influences me massively and i go through through phases so um this is like you know this is where you don't have to be loyal to a particular brand and, I, and i'd highly recommend people go and explore what's out there because you know g-dub are a great ma ma manufacturer of paints but i actually um but they're not the only manufacturer i um I actually stopped using GW altogether for about 10 years um, because I went through like this, they went through this phase where I bought like four or five, I think it was white scar at the time or Corex white or whatever they want to call their white paint. Um, buying it from the GW shop, it, the, um, it, like, you know, directly opening up the, the paint pot and the paint was already dried in, and dead inside. And I was like, all right, what's going on with this? Like there's this, mm, yeah. like just, there's a problem with quality control in this product at the moment. Um, and that, that turned me off for a little bit. Um, uh, so I, I went looking abroad and, you know, I, I spent a long time working with um, P3 Paints, which is the paint company that Privateer Press makes. Um, yep. And they were sort of a little bit pioneery from what I understand. Like everybody claims to, to have the, you know, the, the secret sauce. Uh, but at the time, like we go back 10, 15 <laughs> years, they were, um, they were sort of working in like very liquid pigment based paints. And so it's a, the, the paints are phenomenal. Um, as far as like coverage, um, you know, they don't take a lot of dilution, um, but you still get a really smooth finish out of them. And, they, and their, their paint colors are, are pretty nice as far as like workhorse colors. They've got some really unique colors in there as well that I really love, um, particularly in like their blue greens um, range. Um, and they've got like this beautiful color called coal black, which is almost like this really dark denim, denim black color. So it's like, uh, like, so I use them for like, and I'll keep buying those paints as long as they make them. Yeah. Um, that color that I mentioned before, Meridis Blue, um, was sort of what got me into P3 altogether. Um, and it goes back to um, Seb Archer, who back in the day was like would like use this color on absolutely any miniature paint. And I was this little, this little like paint community stand, sort of wondering like like trying to figure out how to be like the cool guys. And um, I picked up that that paint, and it got used on everything. And then. So I've got this sort of like obsession <laughs> with like three three colors, um, which is like that that sort of like really rich turquoise blue, um, and now I'm like working a little bit more with blue greens, and then I love magenta paints, and I love mm. I now love working with oranges because they're just these colors that make things pop. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, like, so I worked with P3 Paints for a long time. Um, they got like you know during COVID supply chain issues, or like for everything was difficult. So. That was my and I had a few like belayers, a few AKs, um, uh, and I got a little bit into a little bit more into those. So I've now got like a pretty heft, like you know hefty range of the drop bottle ranges, which is scale seventy five, um, which I love. I, I absolutely adore seventy five paints um, for their opacity. 
So I use their stuff for um, like a lot of my blocking colors for like non-metallic metals. Um, I use their colors for. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I, I look at someone like Angel Geraldes, um, who I think is just this like, you know, he's this very, very cool painter, very iconic style, very striking style. And so there's a couple of paints that I picked up from him, uh, like, you know, from watching what he does, which is, um, which I use for my highlights. So I don't use like straight white, like a white, white for, for almost anything outside of like final dot highlights on things like non-metallic metals. Um, instead, there's two colors that I use all the time now, which is ivory, which is this like, uh, I can hold it up to the camera, but it's this like, like, very 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 bleached bone sort of color and it comes out almost white but what it does as opposed to like a white color which i picked up from him is that it retains the vibrancy of a color whereas white will wash out a color it will it will bleach it so <laughs> that that's really good for um sort of really really bright really really bright highlights um and a good alternative to white in most situations and then the other color that i use from him is that i picked up from him is a color from vallejo as well called ice yellow which is, again, it's, it's a near white, but it's a yellowed white. So if I'm working with things like greens or um, reds um, in particular, but I use, it, I use it for literally everything because I like to keep my highlight tone consistent across the model. Um, I use like this ice yellow color for that. Um, and it just, it, again, it, it lifts vibrancy of highlights rather than washing them out. You can often, you know, uh, and it's very noticeable um, and this isn't to denigrate anybody using um, dry brushing, but it's really noticeable on a model that's been dry brushed, for example, where somebody's used added white into their highlight tones and they've dry brushed it because that top layer will look often like either it'll wash out the tone of the color almost completely or it'll make it look really, really, really dusty mm, um, yeah. or grayed. And that's the effect of using like a white, white paint as opposed to using something that preserves the color or enhances the color in yeah, that respect. Yeah. I sort of um, found yeah. like uh, I can identify with that um, using um, palette witch flesh mm. um, as like when I've with my um, uh, with my Vendrac or you know my Vicos undead like mm. my snowy base undead um, <clears throat> yeah I've been kind of that's been my finishing um, dry brush like across the, just to get the little little details to pop um, yeah. it's kind of been the 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 bit that the step that sort of ties it all like with the flesh, especially like with the way that I do the flesh on um, the, the vampires and stuff in that particular army, um, that final sort of pass with the pallid witch flesh, it's sort of pure white, but it's quite, it's quite pale obviously, but like yeah. it just ties everything in. It doesn't look like a, it doesn't look like a, a dry brush because, you know, I'm using the, you know, I've got some of those S series um, yeah. um, brushes and, yeah. you know, I've been paying attention in that space with those brushes. So I've kind of been using some of that um, technique on, on those models, but yeah, I guess I'm just, yeah. sort of tying in like what, what you're saying with um, like the ivory. I've just, while you've been mentioning yep. these colors, I've been, I've just written down and searched for Meridius <laughs> blue, Vallejo ivory and Vallejo ice yellow. So thank you very yep. much. No worries. <laughs> so and, I'm um, experimenting with those for sure. And that that point about the palette which flesh as, as your final dry brush. Um, one one paint that I'm like I'm devastated that P uh, that G Dub got rid of. Uh, I saw a couple of them here. Uh, the old foundation color range that they had. 
Um, there are a couple of amazing colors in there that yeah. I just can't find alternatives for. And one was called Den of Stone, which was like their, their bone color from it. And I used to use that for exactly the same thing on armies. Like, you know, I, I drop it. That was my final dry brush. And it was beautiful for it. And the other one was they yeah. had from that paint range. Um, that I've, I'm yet to find a great alternative for was called Chariot on Granite, which was like the best color to use for bases in the world. Um, yeah. Sadly, those <laughs> those colors don't exist anymore. And um, mm. and I'm not I'm not one of those. I'm not ready to like go and try and hunt them down on eBay or anything like that. But um, yeah. yeah, it's it's when you find those colors that help you finish off models. It, it, it's that little yeah. like secret sauce. that's really really great. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Like I've um. I've been getting into the new Vallejo model color or game color range. I oh, think. They're have, you, um, have you gone with any of those? Yeah. They're so yeah, vibrant. Um, yeah. Massively. So uh, yeah. I've got, there are three that I'm working with all the time. I'm, sorry, four that I'm working with all the time. I'm going to do a little show and tell, uh, which is this, like, there's like a blue green that they've got, which is just this like incredible, it's um, uh, ver uh, jade green, which is incredible. It's super, super vibrant. Um, yeah. Almost like a, like, I don't know, like a Neko sort of, um, like cyberpunky sort of color, which is amazing. Um, yep. Their orange, which I'm using for the skin tone of my yes. in my Seraphon <laughs> army, that orange is incredible, and the coverage on it is amazing. Like often, color like you know your yellow end of colors. So uh, the yes, orange, orange uh, fire, or orange fire, green, like or orange. I've got all the oranges from them. <laughs> yeah. uh, I've got the orange fire at the moment, and um, yeah. it's the, the coverage on it is incredible, and the tone yeah. that comes out of it is like it's just so nice. amazing which i was yeah you know, let a game color for a long time where we're not an easy paint range to work with they're actually like they they didn't dilute very well and they were a bit clunky and, and all that stuff very hardy paint but as the game yeah. suggests they're made for playing with miniatures yeah. but this new range is awesome so i've used that um, i'm loving this new fluoro green they've got um and if you haven't played much with fluoro colors they're really hard to use um at well mm. so um so for example i basically I'm doing the feathers on this wrapped on unit in like a fluoro green, but I've had to paint them using other greens first up to like um, basically highlighting with that yeah. nice yellow color and then glaze over the top of them. But it basically just, it, it looks like, you know, carnival sort of vibrancy. <laughs> and um, the last one so of my little show and tell is um, deep magenta. And um, as a painting nerd, finding a magenta color that has, yeah, that's the one. Chris that is one. holding it's up, holding up the uh, model green. color. Is it model color, not game color? You got the so model, the model color. color. Yeah. yeah, that's model color. Yeah, the green fluoro. Yeah. That's the yeah, one. The I get, yeah, and I've got that one. Um, and one of the, and I've got the like, so really, I've been using the fluoro yellow for a model color for ages. Um, one thing they never really nailed with their old, um, with their old fluoro colors was cons the consistency in the paint. Um, mm. so you could get there were two ranges that that Vallejo did fluoros in. Um, for anybody who doesn't like yeah. painting, like this is going to be a really dull conversation. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that yellow. Yeah. So they have they did two ranges where they had a fluoro yellow. One was their model color, and the other one was the game air. And they were at the complete opposite spectrum, uh, uh, complete opposites of the spectrum. So like the fluoro is this like really clunky, cl gluggy paint that doesn't dilute mm. well with almost anything, and the coverage is is really hard to get working. And yeah. game air is awesome um, as far as color intensity goes, but it's almost at like a wash consistency so you yeah. can only really use it as a glaze um and not as a as a painting color um yeah. and and that was my experience with the the yellow the green the blue of their old um, model color fluoros these new ones um the consistency is awesome like it doesn't have that dilution problem it's not too thick it's not too thin Co the coverage with the fluoro color is never going to be amazing 
but um, but this is a, a head and, head and shoulders. Um, so are those new ones that you're talking about are they game color? They're game color. Yeah. Okay, because yeah. I was gonna say I try I I love the idea of fluoro, so I thought mm. I was showing showing up for the camera. Great for a yeah. podcast. Um, yeah, <laughs> I bought the fluoro colors, but mine are all model color, and I tried to use the yellow, and as you said, it just came out like thick gel, and yeah. it basically. I was like, this is this is unusable. Like, what am I mm -hmm. missing? Like, I, I don't know how this works. So good to hear from someone that is obviously a far, 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 far better painter than me that the paint isn't great for it. And that no. there's a new there's a new one. So now I know that I will try and hunt down the new one before I try and actually use it. But yeah. Yeah. There um it's it's there that and I think if anybody's looking for sort of a range to stick their teeth into as far as like, you know, I wanna um, revamp, like I say, I want to refresh my paints or, or anything like that. I would be running straight to these new game colors. They're they're super star paints. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've kind of I've been I've, I've, bought, I've bought the yeah the magentas, the oranges, and the blues mm. for my lumineth. I've kind of started off with um, Citadel to begin with, but um and got Scale seventy five involved in this project as well. Um, yeah. But I've kind of made the jump to game color for my main. Um, color palette now um which is there yeah. it's it's fine because i'm only like two units in <laughs> so it's 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 fine now like um but it's yeah i i, I love them so i've got the ink as well like the magenta ink and the um mm -hmm. blue ink i don't know if there's an orange ink i tried to find one when i was there um but yeah i'm not sure if there is but, well there wasn't at the store i was in anyway but um mm. yeah so but um yeah, moving on from those kind of paints, like, do you yeah. um, do you use uh, like contrast or speed paints or anything like that for your in your repertoire? Like, um, yeah, like for glazing, I suppose, or for like, do you use outright contrast one coat yeah. at, in, in, at any point in your um, in your repertoire? So this is going to be a um, an admission of uh, of absolute failure in that I'm really bad at using contrast paints as they're intended. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's a common experience where it's like um, I think it's a little bit of the ADHD in me where it's like you know I, I can't sit there where it's like an effect paint. So you you put it over and it's this really thick paint and you got to let it sit there and hope that it all just settles in the right place. I'm sort of there tapping my fingers, being like, "I'm ready to go." Like, like please dry right, please dry right, please dry right. <laughs> um but i do use them all the time and i use them for i use them for glazing quite a lot um the black kings would be a really good example of like miniatures that you were talking about before where those pink tones like the uh, like the bruising effects and all that sort of stuff that's yeah. all just vorpulous pink um glazed over the top right at the yeah. end of the um painting process yeah. um, as a finishing touch um so i use them all the time um blood for the blood god is one of the best ways to do a blood effect i've come up with um, which is the, the, it's a contrast paint, but it's just this beautiful crimson red color and it takes over any surface. It paints over pretty much any color really well. And it create and it looks like, it's just got that little bit of sheen to it. So it looks, it looks quite blood-like, um, which is, which is awesome. Um, big, I'm a big fan of, um, of that. Um, I see these GW washes all the time. Um, yeah. They're, they're they're phenomenal. They always have been. They always will be. The one yeah. thing that the um the washes don't do very well, and this is something to to always think about, is about like you know, what would I use a, an ink over a wash? Um, ink, a inks don't um don't sit as well on miniatures as washes do. They tend to run more like more than a wash will, but they preserve color and they tone a lot better than a wash does. So 
Yeah. Um, the, two, the two colors, the two washes that I use all the time are like the, um, the Drucci Violet. Uh, yeah, Drucci yeah. Violet and Carlberg um, or Carlberg Crimson, the, the red and the purple ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they're, they're great at darkening a surface. They're not great at keeping a, like keeping a color looking purple so or, yeah. or, or red. So that's where I like the, I would use like a purple ink as opposed to a purple wash for that. Um, if I wanted to mm. sort of keep something yeah. looking very, very purple. Otherwise, it can look quite black. Uh, in the mm. recesses, which which is great, and there's you know reasons to use it for that. Yeah, it depends um, on what you're after. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. um, and I've just started playing with those Vallejo Express paints they just brought out as well, and they're um, yeah, love them. Chris love is holding them. it up. Chris holding up the Express yeah. paints. <laughs> I was just gonna. I was waiting for the conversation to steer to Express because yeah, I've just started using them. I painted up a grave tide with their turquoise the other day. Oh, that and was awesome. It's really like this light is not very good for it, but the color's super nice on the turquoise. It's very vibrant. Mm. So um, yeah, they seemed they seem good to me. It yeah. does seem a lot more <laughs> monotone rather than yep. like shade and light. It is mm -hmm. um, it's very high pigment from my brief experience with it so far, but it's a really nice color. So mm. yeah, I'd agree on all fronts. Um, it it sort of. It, it's almost like a three-in-one paint where it works as an ink, it works as a co contrast, and it works as a wash, uh, depending on how much you want to dilute it. Um, like it slices mm. it dice to Julian's as far as like, you know, painting products are concerned. Um, I, I'm, I, I've only got the one that's almost like a... The only way I can describe it, it's um, plague green. So it's basically think um, plague bearers and what that, would, that green would look like. And I used that a little bit on my um, like summons that I've done for my Nurgle army, and, and it worked really, really well as sort of a, a wash for, for initial shading. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, one any, one uh, thing I, I bought for that range that I saw, which I'm very intrigued by because I hadn't seen GW have one, and I haven't used it yet, so I don't know how it's going to turn out, but they have one which is an express color, but it's a copper, so it's a, a, met a metallic, supposedly. So, yeah, I'm intrigued to see how that works but it does looking at the bottom of the paint it does look like it is metallic so i'm keen to see how it how it works mm, yeah um so yeah you haven't had experience with that one yet then tom no that sounds really 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 interesting um i, I wonder what that would look like you know washing that over like a bone or a white color that that could be really really great yeah i'll do yeah. a test and i'll i'll let you know uh, yeah please do <laughs> But um, have you um touched in or I had a go at the um speed paints army painter range? Yeah, um, I had one really bad experience with them, and it's probably a user error than anything else. I had a um a buddy who we had a bet for CanCon like three or four years ago, where he had this ridiculous list idea, which in the War Machine world, um, like concept of like swarm armies very rarely exists, and he had this. Obscure faction that he wanted to run this obscure um, uh, swarm list with, and but it was like one of the only painted events that War Machine had. So we had this bet going of like of basically me daring him to play this army, and him being like, "I, <laughs> I would, but I don't have painted." And I was like, "Cool, that's all right. We'll just come over one day, and we'll be looking. I've I've done you know twenty four hour painathons to get somebody's army done before, um, <laughs> and so like we had the the airbrush going, and I was smashing color over stuff, and he had this the um, and, and like I don't know if this is the best product to have dived into, but the the quick shade, the the dip into a literally oh, dip yeah. into a bucket, <laughs> um, yeah. to to get your devil and mud effect or um, agrax earthshade effect, um, and that went horrifically bad right out of the get go, oh, um, yeah. and that sort of 
that's just it soured me on um on their product and not because i thought their product was bad but just because like um I don't know it, it was just one of those things like, and I've got other things to use instead of this. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, like I'd recommend yeah giving the um the army pen of speed speed paint a go because um I've found them really useful. I actually prefer them over using um contrast like the Citadel mm. contrast. That's just personal preference, but I find like they're it's they're not as runny as contrast. Like um, contrast pretty thin um compared to these. It's almost like a little bit more. Like not heaps viscous, but they're just a little bit more viscous and um, not as opaque. So you can kind of they're a lot more forgiving as well, and they dry really well in the recesses. Mm. Um, so I found them really um, useful, actually. Um, and yeah, so if you ever if you ever curious, I would, yeah, I'd, I recommend giving the um the army penis B paints a go. Um, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Have a good hobby hobby chat. It's good. I'm all it's for not, it. It's not enough of it going around. <laughs> no, not a, not a, not as much as as it should be. Yeah, not not <laughs> in not in audio formats. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, yeah, it's harder in audio format. <laughs> um, I'm sure we've still got a, f- a couple of listeners left who. Get... <laughs> yeah. oh, no, I'm sure we got a lot. Of, I'm sure we got quite a few listeners left who are keen to to hear hear the secrets and just gain more insight um, into into the stuff we do. Like we spend probably about. Eighty percent of our time painting, twenty percent gaming, somewhere in that ballpark. Some more, some less, depending. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think yeah, majority of the time is spent is spent sitting at a, a hobby corner somewhere, um, doing this doing this thing. So, yeah. So obviously, you mentioned Mortal Blade earlier, um, which you won several um, awards in this year um, with your your Bellacore and your Blight Kings. They're obviously both part of your kind of gaming army rather than entering like a bust or something like that. Is um, bust painting something that you have done before or haven't tried or um, is it, and if you have done it, is it something you enjoy or do you really not like doing it because you paint models to game with them or what's your kind of take on that space? Yes, I painted plenty of, big miniatures, but I'm a little bit scared of bust painting and I don't know why. Um, big reason being that I think there's a level of like expectation of you know, prestige or um, or quality that comes along with it um, that I, I can only see myself painting busts uh, probably for competition. And that I find um, a little bit way intimidating, which... Um, is, is more a meeting than anything else. Um, I'd love to. And I was actually about, I was going to grab some while I was at um, Mortal Blade and they all sold by the time that um, that yeah. I got back to, to, to the room because um, there were some yeah. really, really cool prints that had been done for that. Um, yeah. uh, but I think that's probably the next step. Like I, I think I've, you know, I've done, I, I paint a lot. Like I paint like at least, you know, four or five days a week, um, at least like, you know, a couple, a couple hours at a time in that. So in that time, I get a lot done. Um, and I've, I've painted like, by, by the time I finish this Seraphon, like I'll probably have hit 18 months in the game and that will be my third fully painted faction in that time. So it might be time to slow down a little bit as far as um, armies that I have. And, and if I'm painting for armies, it's those ones, it's not new ones and work, you know, dwindle down my box of shame. 
but that's probably going to come with a, uh, a bit of uh, enthusiasm to jump into some bus painting and um, competition painting, which is why I got actually what got me into AOS weirdly in the first place was um, being at CanCon. Uh, what was it? It wasn't last, like this year that's just gone because I was, I was playing AOS for that. But for the, the year before, which was um, I was running, I was actually running a tournament there that year, but um, went up to the the um, the Crimson Brush and had a look at the paint, painting um, entries there, which are always amazing. And the Australian yeah. painting scene is only getting better with time. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I felt like, you know, and um, I've known Deno who runs it for, for quite a long time. And we're actually staying at a mate's place together. And he was giving me a good ribbing for not having entered anything um, for that yeah. year. And I was like, all right, well, well look, mate, I, I don't even know how to paint. I, I don't even know how to paint non-metallic metals at this point. So, like, I'd be painting stuff from, I'd be entering stuff from armies, which would be fine. But it's, you know, if I'm, if I'm entering a painting competition, it's because I want to really, I want it to have been on things I've really pushed myself on. Yeah. So um, he challenged me to get something in for the following year, and I didn't. Uh, but as uh, that was sort of at the same time I was getting out of, um warmer hordes and i picked up this board game um called unk which is um written by um what's the dude's name uh, uh same dude who's written like uh, uh blood rage and the, the game of thrones uh, miniature game and uh really andrew uh, eric lang um and the miniatures for that game are incredible they're, they're egyptian gods um and so oh, cool. I, yeah but, and i've got some there, there are a couple of them mine so um but um I picked up those and I was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to paint these as like, you know, can I do co- like competition quality miniatures and try some of those techniques. And um, that's me on this little path of, of learning some of those, these new things. And then um, one thing led to another. And I, instead of getting into display painting, which is what I wanted to, which is what I was aiming to do, I went into AOS instead. So I think it's that time that I sort of re uh, refocus and, and have a bit more of a serious crack at, at painting. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I'm just um doing a quick search for Unk. <laughs> yeah, cool. It's a it's a great board game. Yeah. Um, if, if anybody's a, yeah. I, I play a lot of board games and uh, definitely one of my one of my favourite go tos. Yeah, cool. I'll, I'll have to have a look. I love um, Egyptian stuff. Um, so yeah, I'll have to have a look at that. Is yeah. I, I wanted to ask as well. Is the is the game system like uh, something that kind of drew you to painting models because obviously when you were sort of explaining your initial journey in it was very 40k centric and you've only kind of more recently i guess come across to age of sigmar and and fantasy is it was there something about like the 40k models in terms of an aesthetic that drew you in of wanting to paint them or did you just your younger self kind of like that like those models from a gaming perspective or just a setting rather than there being anything specific about them from uh, like a painting approach? Because it sounded like you got into the hobby from painting, like you weren't playing with kind of grey plastic models. It sounded like you very much saw some models and thought they'll be cool, I want to sit down and paint them, and then maybe the gaming came second. So I'm just keen to know if there's been any any game system that you've only done from a, a painting perspective and then come into the game or? Yeah. I, so I think I got into miniatures for painting more than anything else. Um, yeah. I, like the, I didn't really understand that there was a game that people would play all the time 
um, until I was until I sort of had like come back to the game. So uh, like I I uh, I got into Space Marines because I was and this is not to to poop on Space Marines, but I got into Space Marines because I was ten and Space Men with machine guns was the coolest thing that you could have conceived of. <laughs> um, so so and that held my interest for a long time and um, and all that. Um, but I uh, I didn't ever do a 40k army um, until I was quite a bit older, like, you know, late teens, early 20s, where I um, I did a an Eldar army, which was using all like colored metallic paints. Um, and, and again, I think I played one game with that army. Um, so every jump has been like, an, from game system to game system, has been by and large based on aesthetic. Um, uh, I got I got sort of out of fan, like I got into fantasy because I love the look of dwarves and then wood elves and then skaven like I, I was like these models are really cool. Then I got into warmer hordes because I thought the miniatures there were like the miniatures at that time were were phenomenal. It was sort of when GW was going through its lump what I call, like to call its lumpy era. So uh, for reference, that's when you saw lots of things like bull gore and the razor gore and the uh, crypt horrors all coming out where. I think it was shoulders very early. on shoulders. Shoulders on shoulders. Yeah, I think that was their first sort of <laughs> test the or foray into digital sculpting, and it was just you know somebody figured out they you know and, and not not to not to denigrate on any of his work, but I think people were getting very excited that they could sculpt muscles, and um, yeah. and there was a lot of muscles on models at that point in time. So um, <laughs> so I actually got I I, I think that sort of drove me away a little bit, just being like. Uh, and I remember being distinctly disappointed when the Hell Pit Abomination came out. I was like, this model's just like lumpy. Like, I, 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 it's, it's not this really cool, like, rat god that I was hoping it would be. Um, so, um, yeah. And then, like, getting back into getting into AOS was an accident. Um, I actually just picked up, like, I had no intention of really playing the game and um, I didn't know much about, about the game. Um, outside of its early reputation, I hate to say, um, which I, I don't know if you guys have been playing since the start of the game, but from an outsider looking yeah. in, it, it was have, it yeah. was a pretty... The game system looked like it had a pretty rough start as far as... We were there, man. We were, we were there in the, in in the, the old days. It was <laughs> literally <laughs> me. It was me, James, and one other guy at the very first... <laughs> event in gw sydney and yeah we we that's awesome so much hate so much rage from the beginning so yes we were there for that day (laughs) we're the fools trying to make it work when it first came out (laughs) we were like latching onto everything in the uk like there was like the you know pool point systems and i think at that point we were just consuming all the uk um podcast content that we could get our hands on at that point in time but but yeah. yeah Um, it was it was such a uh, I think more than anything like that initial launch was just a, a pivot shift like such a severe pivot shift in that they'd start it felt like they'd really started to um, point a um, warm warm fantasy battles at like a competitive game and there were a lot of like competitive play events like tournaments springing up and it was getting quite popular and the first edition of AOS was very clearly not um, designed to be like you know that same sort of game which is it's fine like like it, no. it, was, designed <laughs> be, it was designed to be something else. Um, but, um, but that was the reputation that I had of the game. And so um, in my, like, sort of eat, pray, love year of, like, learning how to paint um, like and level up my paint, I saw the Gutrock Spear model. And I was like, that model is awesome. Like, I remember when the um, the first plastic noble hero, um, which I wanted is holding the axe with two hands, came out. 
um, that aesthetic of, of the, the big boys with disease um, really, really spoke to me. Um, and I was like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up that model as a painting project. And I picked up um, Spume and I painted him. And and, um, and so I quickly moved on to my next, you know, certainly only painting project, which was a unit of Vikings and the Glockian. And, um, and before I knew it, I had a little AOS army and some friends who I hadn't talked to in a few years. Um, like they'd also sort of gotten into the game. I was like, all right, like there's people to play. Let's go. This is mad. This is this game has exactly not the problem my other game has at the moment, which is people to play against. So um, yeah, um, and yeah, that, that's 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 sort of what landed me into the game um, was aesthetic and painting projects. That's now a full blown consumer of my life. Yeah. <laughs> Would you say that you're a um, plastic crack uh, tragic? Like, do you have, like, do you just buy heaps and heaps of stuff, massive pile of shame, or are you very disciplined? I will buy this army, I will paint this army, then I will buy the next thing. Or do you just, like, see the next shiny thing, buy, see the next shiny thing, buy, and then end up with all this stuff and then overwhelmed? And then how do you how do you wade through all that? <laughs> <laughs> how do I manage the impulses? Um, I, I, I actually, I'm going to say pretty well. In that yeah. um, I, I stick with a project until I've um, hit a point. So um, uh, being in a, like painting armies, like I won't jump off an army until I, it's ready to be able to play it at a tournament. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I do have a problem in that I am very good at inheriting armies. So um, Sh- uh, Sean, one of my one of my good buddies, um, Sean Zor, who you know you might know from his one or yeah, lots of stuff. Yeah. You know, we play yeah. play all the time. Um, awesome. he's, he's, he's flirted with lots of different factions over the years. And so, um, like when I got into the game, he was like, I've got this noble army. Would you like to buy? And I was like, I had like a couple of units at that point. I was like, sure. What's in it? And he's like, oh, I've got like 14 flies. Um, you know, I built every, like, you know, the fly onto the base and that's all, that's all it's there. And I was like, okay, cool. And he, and so that was, that was how I wound up with majority of my noble stuff. And then, um, when I first went into the game, I bought a Noble um, Vanguard box and I bought a, the Slaves to Darkness start collecting box because I was like, I didn't know which one of these two I was going to buy. Yeah. So I got my Noble to like that playable point and then the Slaves to Darkness came out. I was like, all right, let's 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 buy that. But I didn't buy a great deal for it. Like my, I've got, I painted almost everything that I've got for that except like the a couple of units of Warriors and a couple of units of Varengard. Um, but I painted like, you know, like that, like a maniac at the start of this year. Um, yeah. And then I, while I was doing that... Um, uh, Sean had then done Seraphon in that time, and he was like, "Hey, I've got this Seraphon army." Like, you know, he, he's he's absolutely my dealer and knows exactly where <laughs> I uh, where my weak spot is. Like, do, would you, you know, are you interested in buying a Seraphon army? I was like, "Hell yes, I'm interested in buying a Seraphon army." So, um, so I accidentally yeah. wind up with additional armies all the time um, because of that, and I'm not very good at selling armies, so I just yeah. accumulate <laughs> stuff. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> no, no judgment here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very lucky that my wife is uh, is very supportive of that, and the um, and I was worried that when I got to army number three in such a short amount of time, like we're going to have the talk of like I think it's time to slow down. Um, <laughs> but I was very strategic about this, which is I waited until uh, G Dub did their little spoiler announcement with the of the new faction models and all that sort of stuff. And I was like, hey, like check out these. It's dinosaurs riding velociraptors, and she was she looked at that and then looked at my noble stuff. She's like these models are way cooler than anything you painted already. So you should probably pick those up. And I was like, all right, awesome. That's, that's permission. Let's go. That's some, some enabling right there. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So like, yeah, like on that, broaching that, like with, um, with your wife and stuff like that, um, 
did you were you like when you guys met were you into it already or did you would you get back into it after you'd met sort of thing or how did she handle it all initially and yeah how did you had how did you navigate that space <laughs> yeah um so um dating whilst being a nerd is always a, a fun um experience and so i um basically since i've been like we've, we've been together for uh, six years today actually um so go, go with us um uh i was already massively into into gaming at that point and she had no idea what it was about um, but i've been through a couple of like relationships before that where i'd sort like you know where i'd sort of hit it um needlessly just being like yeah this is a thing that i do but you don't have to worry about it because i just do it over here in my weird little corner with my li weird little friends um and <laughs> um and downplayed it and all that sort of stuff um but when um, when Alex and I got together, like I was like, you know, I'm, I'm into this. I'm like, I'm really into it. I do it all the time. I really like it. Like most of my friends are through this community. Uh, if you if you're not into it, like totally cool. You don't have to be like. But I like I don't play video games. I don't I don't you know um, have many vices or anything like that. Like I really like you know dinosaurs riding dinosaurs. Um, and it took her a little while to sort of figure out what it was all about. Um, uh, but once she did, she was like, oh, cool. So it's, 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 it's board games, but you like to make your life harder by making extra rules for board games and having to paint the pieces. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's, yep. <laughs> yep. Good way and that's, 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 um, that's evolved over time um, to, from there to, um, she got really into, we played like, um, through most of Gloomhaven together, which she bought oh, me yeah. being like, she was like, hey, look, I can be a nerd too. Here's this board game. Um, like, and it's the biggest, it was basically like, I went to the shop and I bought the biggest one they had um, sort of thing, <laughs> uh, which was cool. Um, and now she's she's super into like that side of life. Like she loves, like we, we're playing like, um, we play, uh, not Burger, Wingspan um, on yeah. our phones, like throughout the day, like as an asynchronous game all the time now. And we have board game nights with mates and, um she's done a little bit of painting and even broached with me the other week she's like um she's like i think maybe it's time that i learned how to play this game and i was like, like are, you, are you sure like she, so she's 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 down with the nerddom now um which is which is awesome so she she sort of got me way more into sports than i already was and i got her way into being a nerd than she already was that's great <laughs> yeah. that's cool yeah that's great she's taking those steps into into giving a go, like especially if you can get them into the painting, if you can hook them in somehow, then I'm still working on um, my wife Sam. <laughs> working on oh, Sammy with that. She, she likes, she loves the the gits, like she loves um, fungi and she loves the squigs mm. and stuff like that. So, um, sort of, yeah, I'll have to. I've already, I bought her some models, um, but yeah. yeah, I'm yet to see. Yeah, I've got to just keep keep at it. I think. <laughs> Save it up for like a, I don't know, a, a significant anniversary or something. But like, you know, what I'd really like to do for our anniversary this year, I like, I'd like us to play a game of Warhammer um, and, and just see if you can trade it on some good goodwill there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Cool. Give it a crack. See if there's a, see if there's a, there won't be because it's not a precious metal or stone. But I was like, see if there's a year of um, where plastic is the, is oh, the, the plastic uh, anniversary. The <laughs> Yeah, just be like, I'm just sticking with the theme. It's the Warhammer. <laughs> it's the Warhammer anniversary. Anniversary. That's it. <laughs> and there's insane. a resin one, and there's a metal, like there's a like a metal pewter <laughs> one as well. Like, yeah. And there's the there's the fine cast one. We'll ignore that. Um, yeah. Nope. <laughs> you know, actually, even better way to sell it, which is like, be go on the proactive and be like, you know, like I, I love that you know, uh, uh, like what works in this, but what we need to get better at is resolving conflict. And instead of us like you know having a fight. What we should do 
is battle it out in a fantasy realm with uh, with toy soldiers, <laughs> and that way we can put any arguments to bed and have fun at the same time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> cool. All right, noted. <laughs> yeah, it's not something I can uh, I can get my uh, other half into unfortunately i tried at the start oh. there was a little there was a little bit of painting but then just absolutely no drive for the game no and I, think I, I killed it i think it's too big a part of my life for them to be favorable of it <laughs> i feel that because <laughs> um, that's yeah it was something i was going to ask you as well like if james hadn't touched on it about how do you because you said you pretty much paint for like two hours a night how does that mm. go with obviously being married and and having that relationship another half like I don't yeah. feel like I could, I could do that. But that being said, we don't spend that much time together either. But I still feel like if I was like, oh, I'm going to do this for two hours every night on my own now, that would become a problem. But does she mm -hmm. have her own like hobbies and stuff that she does for her own yeah. time? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, I guess it's the, like that speaks to like the the ethos or the like the beliefs that we have around like what makes a, a, our relationship. Um, work is that it's really important that you know both parties have their own um, interests and are able to enjoy those interests um, you know without judgment with or without um, without I guess fear of reprisal um, so it, the, the important part is that we're always conscientious of each other um, and, and certainly that I'm conscientious of um, how much time I put into into my hobby um, but Alex Alex has heaps of interest as well so she's she plays football like a mad woman. Um, she now refs football. She's on her committee, um, huge into crafts and has her own little, like, you know, does a lot of projects with friends where she makes um, she, like a, things for events and stuff like that. Um, so, uh, and on top of that, like, you know, we're, we're both teachers. So we're both pretty used to having, um, to having, you know, times where you're like, I need to go and sit quietly right now because I need to get marking done or I've got reports to do or anything like that. So, we're yeah. quite simpatico on that in that respect. Um, I probably could tone down the amount that I spend hobbying, um, and um, <laughs> and, I, and I, I absolutely bless me. Um, but um, but I don't like I don't get games in regularly. So like as far as as far as my free time goes, I you know I might paint three nights a week and a, a day of the weekend or on a, on a day of the weekend, not not necessarily the whole day. Um, and that's sort of like equates to roughly around the same time that she gets to do with her sport and like with her soccer, like, you know, when she's, cause we play together as well um, on, on teams and stuff like that. But, um, but just making sure that that's, that, that there's a healthy balance there um, because um, as everybody in the adult world knows, it's important to have your, have your, your things that you can do that bring you back to a Zen place and, um, yeah. and, and center you. And that's, that's what painting is for me. Yeah. hundred percent. Same here. <laughs> Don't do it as much, nearly as much as I'd like to. Like there's always like, like there's a weekend, weekend comes up and I go like, all right, all I'm going to do is paint all weekend. And then I don't even sit down with a paintbrush until like Sunday afternoon, evening, because yeah. everything else gets, comes up, you know. All and the just, time. And I just feel this pain in like the pit of my stomach. I'm just like, oh, I just wanted to paint. <laughs> but I do everything yep. for every, everyone else. Why? Yep. This is called being an adult james get over it yeah no. i think the it, i think it's yeah. the trying to say this whole weekend is going to be painting because that is actually a lot of hobby time like an entire weekend. yeah i that's think that's for me that's the dream don't you know? set yourself up for that i think if you just say, yeah, oh, yeah yeah i'm gonna sit i'm gonna sit down on saturday and sunday night and do like three hours of painting because we're not going anywhere like that's mm. a more 
you'll do stuff in the day and then you'll sit down and have your time in the evening. But yeah, yeah it's yeah. something I need to get back into doing. I keep having times where I get super motivated and then yeah, yeah. I don't do anything again. Like I keep sitting in front of the TV and just watching TV show that I don't really care about because I'm mm, like, yeah. oh, I keep having this block of I need at least two hours to go downstairs and sit and start painting. And it's like, actually, if I just do something for half an hour, I will make, like I will make progress. Um, like just pull a base together. Like that's something I actually need to do. Um, Mm. and like, just get my dry brush out and carry on dry brushing the slaves army. I need to just do that and make progress. So, um, I've been doing a little bit, like as we record, I've got my like purple sun done basically for super basic, but it's basically done for, uh, gt so there's a little bit of there's a little bit of hobby um i've also tested tested that copper paint and can confirm there's no metallic pigment in it it's just a brown okay so yeah it's just it's just it's just Just, brown. it's just copper brown (laughs) nothing special i guess it's Mm non-metallic metal copper but yeah Mm um but yeah no that's cool um Yeah. yeah is there anything for you that you I guess like final thoughts is mm. your next like your next goals. Is there something that as a painter that's obviously pretty skilled, you see this as something that you've never tried and for you it's like a real push, like in terms of leveling up to the next step from what you have learned so far that you think like this is not something I could have even attempted until I had 20 years experience painting kind of thing so that okay if there's people listening and they might have just seen videos on youtube and thought i'm going to try that technique and they don't realize that it's something that like you have to already be a very very good painter to even try and grasp sort of thing and it it might help people go oh okay i'm just approaching it from the wrong uh at the wrong time in my hobby career i guess yeah yeah um so it sort of goes back to that that conversation about um, large scale or bust bust bed type miniatures. There's a couple of sculpts um, that I think Stormcrow miniatures do, which are basically like the like I, I like. Despite the fact that I don't play any elf factions, I like I love elf aesthetic, lore, mythology, all that sort of stuff. There's a lot. There's these large scale elves sort of in these this full plate armor that. Um, that I would like I've seen a few painters do and there's an incredible one at um at Crimson Brush this year which I, I can't remember who painted it but painted with almost like a, a mirrored finish um of a like a, like a non-metallic metal but almost like a mirrored or, or chromed or polished finish um mm-hmm. so like I, I can paint non-metallics okay at this point I think that would be the next thing I'm really really excited to do is is sit down with with a miniature and paint it section by section and be meticulous probably with the intention of like with putting it into a competition like because that's a good sort of milestone to hit or a goal goal to move towards yeah not necessarily like with the, the intention of winning or anything like that like I, I i've done my stint um in all things in life with like the the express goal of of being a like you're know, going in to win um now i'm now i sort of want to approach things more from like a personal challenge sort of thing like can i can i do this thing can i can i play the best can i paint the best that i that i possibly can um you know with the best attitude that i can so i think that that's that's probably my next big thing is pick a project that you know i I clear everything else there's nothing else coming up focus on that you know try all those new techniques so things like um a plinth base would be is something that i'm almost intimidated by because it's it's all sculpt Mm -hmm. and it's all and you know you can get a plinth really really right 
you, and I look at them like, you know, picking a really nice piece of wood with like beautiful texture and all this stuff. I'm like, I would hate to stuff up something that goes on top of this because, you know, mm. I always look at it. I like, I've got this mental block being like, it's almost a proof. Like people who get to put things on plinths are really cool and, and really privileged. They get to put things on plinths. Um, so I think that that's, that's something that I'd actually like to challenge myself with over the next 12, like, you know, probably in the next 12 months is, is getting towards that. Um, yeah. yeah. How about you guys? Like, what are you working towards at the moment? Uh, I'm working on Lumineth at the moment. So I've got a, um, yeah. yeah, my Lumineth Ramlords project. Um, so yeah, color, the palette is, as I said before, is like um, blue and magenta um, mm. with um, orange as the spot color. So kind of like that's almost synth wave mm. feel. Um, that's kind of like the inspiration. Um, but yeah, so I've been working on those. I've painted, um, painted 10, um, wardens and i've just finished the five stone guards so uh, this has been a very slow burn um yeah. but um yeah now i've, now I've got the, these two units down um I'll probably just i've got 10 sentinels next so yeah my focus for rest of this year um is to yeah try and get this lumineth army painted and um i've got heaps more to like build and paint to flesh out a few like different list ideas but yeah, I've committed to it because a lot of the models were given to me as gifts um, for Christmas cool. a few years ago now, like, and they've just been sitting waiting and I won't sell models that have been given to me as gifts. Like I'll mm. build them, paint them, then show the person who gave them to me, hey, look, this is the thing you gave me. I know it's like three years three years down the track, but, you know, they're here. I, I kept them. But I'm... Yes, that's that's my goal for this year. Next year, um, I really want to um paint out my halfling army for kings of war i've always been keen oh, cool. to like dip my toe in um kings of war i've always had an interest in that space um but um age of sigma just kept on throwing new death models at me so <laughs> that kept me kept me in the fold for a lot longer but um yeah so that that'll be for next year and then you know i've got i want to finish my i'm going to do a whole new nighthorn army and um you know there's there's a few other things i want to kind of get done as well so yeah they're probably my my main things and and just keep adding to my death army like that's i love all the new models have come out I always get the new stuff that comes out even if it sits in my pile of shame for a while like i've got it i can pull it out and paint it when it when it when the time's right so that's kind of my goals but yeah like the lumineth i've i've kind of i'm incorporating like hopefully as many different techniques that i've picked up over the years and hopefully this will be kind of like a good showcase of where i'm at um if with my um like skill as a whole so i'm trying not to just go full down the oil and enamels route which i'd kind of gone down that route a lot more with my um with my newer death army the snow my snowy base death army um so i've kind of yeah really explored that oils and enamel space um which is a different uh, approach and learned a lot of a lot of cool um tricks there but I've kind of yeah come back full like almost full circle to like the base base color layer layer um, glazes and sort of reach branching out to the more in that kind of space. So um, yeah, that's kind of awesome. that's my uh, ramble in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, me, I'm yeah, I'm just doing slap chop um, because I've actually never haven't done a slap chop army before and dry brushing is actually something that I think I'm bad at. Um, I'm definitely already improving at it from doing this, but it's been a take the time to actually watch videos and make sure that I'm 
doing it correctly and not actually using dry paint and tissue paper and all that all terrible stuff that I used to do. Um, and now I'm actually understanding why I used to get really bad clumping and etc. So um, yeah, just getting my slaves army done um, is the thing for me. And then I think it will take me a long time to paint, even if it is going to be slap chop, which is supposed to be fast because all the detail of picking stuff out <laughs> with all of the, um, all the contrast paints, like I want to actually try and paint them reasonably close to like mm. not box art but like that kind of color scheme of actually picking out all of the details in the different colors because normally when i paint i i paint a lot of stuff all in the same color like i'll be like yeah. oh i know technically that's a different material but it's all part of the armor that can all just be silver or or whatever and i've been very lazy historically with like which which details i pick out um yeah. whereas with this i do kind of want to identify all the different areas of flesh and fur and bone and claw mm. and actually paint them differently um and yeah have the army looking pretty cool and i've always liked basing um and yeah i'm gonna try i've never done snow basing before though so um i was gonna write this up for the tail actually but i do know what my basing scheme is gonna be and i did actually buy some hobby supplies the other day to do it um to make up some cubes but the army i'll, I'll share on here is um it's basically it's a slaves army that's despoilers subfaction. So the army is going yep. to be the dis the despoilers of Baikal, B A I K A L, um, and basically that comes from Lake Baikal, which is um, a real place up in um, Russia, and it's this frozen lake that's got basically like turquoise water that um, breaks up and has like snow all over it. Um, so that's. Um, yeah, I'm like again, great for podcast. Oh media. wow, yeah, but that's yeah. Um, yeah, that's a real place, and it's um, awesome. basically what I'm going to do for my basing. So, yeah. I've got yeah. loads of um, I've got loads of leftover like discs, basically like resin discs from when I've done my deepkin. Oh. So whenever I've had excess tinted resin, um, I've just been pouring them into base molds and save saving yeah. it. So basically, I'll just put all these discs on on bases and then cover them up with snow. Um, and I've bought some of this Vallejo water texture acrylic stuff yep. um, that I'll kind of put on the edges and tie that in again with some Vallejo snow. Um, and yeah, I think Slaves is quite a dark armor for the certainly the warriors. And then um, for the Vortex Beasts, I'm going to do like dark purples and, um, and blues and stuff in their flesh. Um, and so I think that will look cool on like very white, vibrant bases. Um, but yeah, that's kind of for me. It's a, a project in dry brushing and yeah, picking out detail and, and and everything. So it's not like high end. I just I don't think I am a high end no. painter. I definitely don't have the patience for it or or brush control. I don't think. But um, it'll still be trying something different. Um, like I feel like I've done a lot of concepty armies recently. Certainly with my deepkin and stuff. So it'll be good to actually try and paint some models. But yeah, and it's, it's yeah. just on that. Like, it's important for like, um, it, it's something that I hear all the time. It's like, you know, I'm not, I'm not like, you know, aiming to be like the high end painter. Like, I, I think that the, there's a bit of a fallacy that you have to be aiming for like display quality all the time, right? Like, yeah, yeah. painting yeah. takes forever, and um, you know, people only have time to do what they have time to do. So, like, you know, it's about matching what you can do with what you want, and 
um, I, th those those resin discs. So for everybody watching at home, um, they look really, <laughs> really, really cool. That, that, I'm excited to see that army. Yeah, yeah, it should be it should be cool. I've bought a most of it for like the smaller bases. They're too big. Like yeah. they are obviously they've gone into base molds. But I bought mm -hmm. just from Wish like a silicone uh, like tiny ice cube tray. So it yep. actually has like a hundred cubes, and I'm literally going to pour blue tinted resin into that as well and then it'll pop out and just give me loads of these little resin ice cubes awesome. essentially um that i'll be able to use for the smaller bases and, and put that stuff around so um i do like basing it feels more like sciencey kind of experimental stuff i don't it's not like a brush control thing i'm happy to be a bit crazy in that so. kind of creative sense there um yeah which is where I guess I feel more comfortable in the hobby. Um, even though I'm not a big like converter, like chopping up models and stuff, but I'm happy to like play around with, with basing and MDF and get a saw out mm -hmm. and do that kind of stuff, which other people are like, Oh, what the hell? I can't do that. I need a paintbrush sort of thing. So um, <laughs> yeah, I'll try and play to the areas. I feel a bit more like, yeah, I can work that out. I'm comfortable here, but um, I want to push myself a bit on the painting. So I will take my time with this army, but I also, do want to get it done from a gaming perspective because I'm quite excited to play it. It's going to be very different to any of my other armies I've played, and mm. it's also not a list that like I'm really seeing get any play anywhere else. So that is kind of driving me to want to complete the painting as well, which is which is good. But um, yeah, that's uh, thanks for asking. That's kind of my I guess hobby hmm. hobby mojo at the moment of what I'm trying to do. But yeah, 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 awesome, yeah. Well, I think that's um shall we wrap it up there, guys? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cool. I reckon so. Yeah, awesome. Um, Tom, thanks for coming on the show. It's been awesome having you. Um had a really great time getting to know you, hearing your hobby journey and um about your all the fun we had at um up at Bathurst. And yeah, is there anyone who you'd like to um shout out or any and do you have any final thoughts? Final thoughts for the podcast? Um, yeah. Uh, oh, I've, I've always got thoughts. Um, I think, uh, you know, <laughs> happy to share. But uh, uh, like, I guess, like one of my big takeaways. coming up on part three. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, no, no. Um, like, I guess, just, just, I would encourage everybody to just keep, you know, trying new things with painting. Is it's one of the, the most fun things you can do in the hobby. Even though a lot of people, I know a lot of people don't don't love it. But um, but yeah, like that. That's that's sort of um, that's sort of it from from me. But uh, I'd love to shout if you like. You know, I've got so many good, great gaming groups I'm associated with in Sydney, and, and there's a really you know lots of really great communities um, around. So um, the Dice Arcade group are, are absolutely unreal. If you get the chance to go down to one of their their events, they're, they're awesome. Um, Exiles out at Maracle are, are a great, 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 great group. Um, and then like the dudes that I normally play games with um, outside of events. So I've um, got my buddy Mick who came to to um, Bathurst with us um, and my buddies Dan and Sean who get to come to almost no um, events um, but uh, just such awesome dudes to bounce ideas around with for the game and, and constantly engage with so um, yeah and check us check us out we got a little um, Instagram thing going with some swag uh, I'm going to do a little, sh a little shameless plug um, with oh yeah go for it yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. it's on Instagram um, so there's some cool stuff happening there if you're after some Warhammer themed uh, gear uh, so you're the man so who's so you is it you and Sean behind that? Uh, Sean's done uh, like the leg work at this point, um, but we're, yeah, we're yeah, sort yeah. of trying to 
to build up a little like you know at least a, an easy way for people to get some swag happening with um with yeah awesome gaming yeah. i do believe uh we've got some t- shirts and uh Oh, awesome. hoodies in the in the works behind the scenes so we do they should be yeah. <laughs> available within the, the next couple of weeks i think so yeah. i think i've probably ju- i've just probably missed the boat for having some for sydney gt but um we should have some for uh runax etc which would be cool yeah yeah awesome awesome but yeah fantastic yeah, cool and yeah if anyone wants to follow you, you kind of said instagram's your main social which is yeah i've got a tomo paints on there uh, and I'm really bad at updating it at the moment because I get really self-conscious about how bad the photos I take are. Uh, but I have uh, got a DSLR on the way and a little proper like photo booth set up. So I'm hoping to get the last two armies that I've painted uh, up on there in the next month or so with some pretty decent photos. Yeah, fantastic. And and like the photos, the photo part of the hobby is just you'll find it like that it just becomes an extension of everything that you're doing as well. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's another rabbit hole to go down. It's yeah. good. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, yeah. Again, thanks for coming on and um, thanks everyone for listening. Um, if you're still with us, uh, we really appreciate your support and um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll be back in your ear holes very soon. Thanks See you guys. You've been listening to Mortally Wounded Podcast. You can contact Chris on Twitter at Wounded Mortally. You can contact James on Instagram at Duke Cadric. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.